1: Speed. Yeah, baby. With some mushrooms on it, right? So, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, the GGTMC is back. Uh, we are, uh, well, semi-live, I guess. I don't know. I don't even know why I even bothered trying to say that. That sounds so silly. We are live. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I just thought of something. I'll tell you off the air, Will. <laughs> I yeah, hate I'm that I'm sure I know what you thought of. <laughs> Rock stars? Uh, no, no. But that now I just thought of that. Uh, okay, so this week we are back. I'm Samurai across the board from a good pal, Big Willie, and with us, friend of the show, reviewer extraordinaire, brewer extraordinaire, brewer extraordinaire. Yes, review brewer, brewer reviewer. Yeah, rebrewer, rebrewer. There we go. I like that reviewer. <laughs> Either way it works. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Uh, we got Todd with us. How you doing, Todd?
2: I'm doing okay, guys. Thanks for having me back after the little 300 debacle.
3: <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, Tommy's knocking on heaven's door, but
2: uh, uh, that pissed me off. <laughs> but what are you going to do?
3: That's yeah. the that's the capricious uh, god that is technology.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. It plays games with us. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. We've we've really ran into a few snafus recently, but even every now and then we do have a few hiccups. Ooh, you just said the word no hitter. Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> We're going to be up till four, 4 in the morning recording. Ooh, I hope Audacity does not f- crash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week, uh, we let Todd program the show because uh, unfortunately he couldn't be on uh, a couple weeks ago for episode 300. So he chose uh, Freaks from 1932, uh, directed by Todd Browning, and Dashi or Dashe, 1980. We don't know if it's Dashi or Dashe. That's why I said both. Uh, also known as Lost Souls uh, from 19... I did say that, right?
2: 1980?
1: Uh, yep. uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. We'll talk about that in a little bit too.
3: Released by Amblin Entertainment. Yes,
1: yes. Written by Lawrence Kasdan. and, and Kazan.
3: <laughs> starring, Van Capra.
1: Starring Amy Irving. <laughs> yes. Yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, what have you guys been watching? We always defer to the guests, so I will kick it over to Todd. What have you been watching lately?
2: Uh, I've been watching, uh, a decent amount. I, uh, I finished off, I got one of those universal Blu-ray box sets, the, uh, the horror movies, the classic horror movies. And oh, yeah. I finished off with uh, a rewatch of, uh, the Wolfman and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but I watched them both with the, uh, the Tom Weaver commentaries. And I'll tell you something, that guy really knows how to, uh, to load up the commentary with a uh, whole lot of information. The guy's got, you know, wealth, wealth of information going on. He loves the Jam it all in there as much as you can, and plus they're both really great Sounds movies. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, they're, I mean, they're great movies. Besides, uh, you know, I mean, if you haven't seen the the classic, uh, the Universal classic horror movies, they're kind of re- re- required viewing in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched uh, the sh- the uh, the two movies for this week uh, for you guys for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got in the 400 blows, uh, Truffaut's The 400 Blows. Uh, which is really, really good. It's, it's a little I mean, I guess it, I, I don't know whether it's you know kind of blasphemy to say that it's, it was a little bit of a drag only because it's very slice of life. There's not mm-hmm. a whole lot that really actually happens, but at the same time, I mean from a technical standpoint, it, it's you know absolutely stunning, and that, that uh, ending is something oh, that really packs mm-hmm. one hell of a wall up. I love um, it. You, know, you know, there's a whole oh, yeah. series
3: of films about Antoine Doinel, right? Like every seven, eight years or something.
2: I don't know. Yeah. The, I the, honestly the, don't know.
3: Truffaut took the, the, the male lead, um, the boy, and they made a film together like every, I'm guessing, every eight, nine years. I've, only ever, I've never seen anything past 400 blows, but sort of him as a young man, him as, you know, 30 something.
2: So it's almost you know, like the seven up series, but with, uh, with a, a fictional character yeah oh okay i i honestly never knew that okay cool um i watched uh beneath which is the larry fessenden uh movie about a monster in the lake and uh, people stuck on a boat trying to get back to land Uh, i'm normally i'm normally into uh into fessenden at least you know the spirit of it the guy takes some chances he's got a he's, he's a pretty good director yeah um all things considered and he does stuff you know better than most on tiny tiny budgets um this one really kind of was hard only because i mean it's one thing for characters to be unlikable i mean these people were unlikable from the beginning (laughs) if the whole point was you know that these people are uh you know kind of they're not uh, they're not nice people beneath is you know kind of the whole point uh but the whole thing to me as i was watching it was well they weren't really that nice people above either so uh it's it's it was good it was well made uh, there's a lot of uh the the effects are really good and especially with the uh, the fish monster thingy nice. uh they're really nice so at least on that level I would recommend it uh but it was kind of yeah it was one of those things where you're you're almost getting you're coming close to actually yelling at the screen uh just because of the the people on it um so there was that uh, I finally got raging bull off my list of shame yeah uh, nice. and, and and talk about another movie where you know the character is not exactly likable uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean that that was that was really the, 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 the big problem that I had with this and you know've we've, we've always had that conversation do characters need to be likable and you know I don't think that they do I think that they need to be compelling and thankfully Jake LaMotta is that yeah uh, and plus I mean again from a, t- a technical standpoint I mean this movie when you get to those fight scenes I mean it's that's stunning stunning work uh, and uh, the score I was uh Oh Lord, uh, was it for no? I'm I'm not even gonna say. I would it have said
3: told. Herman, but I don't think.
2: Yeah, it was. that's what I was thinking, but I I think I'm wrong, so I'm not gonna say it. Um, so I watched *Raging Bull*. I finally caught up with um, the uh, Rennie Harlan, the Swedish torpedo, uh, doing prison. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, finally caught up with it. Uh, it was it looks good. The uh, the the effects were fun to to look at. Other than that, it was pretty uh, by the book. For the most part, for me, I mean, it almost made prison look like it was fun. Um, <laughs> it uh, can but be, I it, guess. It, if, uh... Well, depends on who you're roaming with, I guess. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, it, it, it wasn't bad. All things considered, it's not a bad movie. Uh, I, I would probably, I would watch it again uh, as just something like you know, keep on in the background or something like that. Uh, bu- 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 I rewatched Pacific Rim, which I still think is a really good, really, really good uh, summer uh, tentpole kind of movie. Um I caught up with wait, let me see. Oh, I went to uh I went to the theater and saw Sin City a Dame to Kill for, yeah. which uh is pretty much in my opinion if you really like Sin City the first one, you'll really like this one. Oh, uh nice. they're they're pretty equal uh, by and large. I think that uh and I mentioned this in uh, in uh, the group at one point. Um that I thought that he, he actually did a little bit more with the uh, the visuals than just like that that stark black and white and graphic kind of thing that they did in the first one. Right. So I, I like that. I unfortunately I had to watch it in 3D, which I loathe, but <laughs> that's a personal thing. And uh, but even then, it, it wasn't too terrible. It's um, interesting
1: it, that that movie tanked hard this weekend, and people were yeah, saying it it's because of you know Rodriguez and blah blah blah. I think it probably tanked because. I don't. I think they might have waited too long on that one. Oh,
3: they yeah. definitely. They should have done it a year or two later. I mean, it's not like they couldn't have. Yeah. Of course, they could have. He waited way too long. Yeah, I
2: don't know why oh, they
1: waited so long, but they did.
2: Between that and then Miller doing the spirit, uh, you know, yeah. immediately after. I mean, that didn't help anything because that was kind of. I mean, talk about a flatliner. Yeah.
3: Oh my God, um, that one looks nice, but it's it's dog <laughs> shit. I know. Yeah,
2: it really isn't good, uh, and that's sad. But. Um, but I mean this one has it has the same good things and the same bad things as the first one it's got a really odd pacing so it, it feels like it, it ends like three or four times before you actually get to the end and all that kind of thing right. Powers Booth is phenomenal in it, and he's in it a lot so nice. I mean that for me was a big plus uh, Eva Green is I don't think she wears clothes for the entirety of the movie
1: again nice
2: yeah exactly <laughs> well, uh, although about Powers you know, the Booth? way, that, the Powers... way they color her eyes they make them look even crazier yeah than,
1: uh, does Powers Booth uh, wear clothes
2: not as much as you would think. Oh, nice. Lots nice. of loincloth in there. Hours, no, I'm
1: kidding. no wonder Richard Attenborough passed away today.
2: <laughs> probably went and saw that. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, Stacy Keach is in it, but he's unrecognizable unless you know that it's Stacy Keach. Uh, and he's Keech only in one both. scene. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. And then finally, I finally got another one off my list of shame, which was Vertigo. Uh, which was insanely good and there we do have a, a bernard herman uh, sto- uh score um mm. uh, so yeah that was really really good it, it does take a little bit uh, to get off the ground for me mm-hmm. that first like 40 minutes or so where he's kind of trailing her but at the same time i mean you know those sequences where it's just silence of him trailing um kim novak's character around uh around san francisco is just i mean it's, it's incredible stuff that he's uh Hitchcock was a you know one of those guys who was meticulous in his filmmaking, and that, I love that kind of thing. Like everything is just perfect, spot on. You know, he doesn't misspeak. Kind of like the Coens. you know. Like there's yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. There's not a hair out of place in that movie. Yeah, just makes uh, it And I easy. really, really love that. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, What's your favorite Hitchcock? Uh
1: Ooh, that almost sounds like a loaded question.
2: Yeah, Ooh, a little bit. Unintended. Only loaded for long. yeah <laughs> uh, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say that it was uh, north by northwest. And
3: Sammy?
1: Um Me? Yeah. Um mine is probably Ooh Man, that's a tough question. Um I like frenzy a lot, but I would probably lean toward uh what's the one? Is it um uh, uh the Lodger? I I like the Lodger a lot.
0: Okay.
3: I'm a rear window guy.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: No, no.
1: Ooh, ooh. <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> we make it squeaky clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we always told you. Told us you always like to spit. Now we know why. That's right, man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Eat a lot of uh, peanut butter beforehand.
1: Yeah.
2: But that was uh, that was the last thing that I watched. So nice. Uh, back to you guys. Do you nice. see
1: that? Do you see that photo floating around of uh, Van Damme and Alain Delon? Alain Delon no yeah oh. evidently they were hanging out together this past week or something like this oh man
3: i gotta find this in, like
1: now <laughs> <laughs> it was on his uh it was on his facebook if you if you're you know if you're like uh in his fan or a friend of his on facebook or whatever i think he posted it on there it's pretty cool i'd oh. like to see them two do a movie together oh man yeah oh, yeah <laughs>
0: that's
1: cool i don't know if it was recent or not but i'd never seen it before and i was like oh that's totally <clears> cool <throat> man van damme hanging out looks pretty old now. yeah he does he's getting up there sadly yeah, he he still looks pretty good, considering his age. and For his age, I mean, he's probably pushing 80. He's probably still smoking. So, you know, <laughs> he might be hanging in there, boy. Yeah. Hanging in there Dashi. Oh, well, he's, yeah, he's 78 years old. <laughs> yeah, he's getting up there, man. <laughs> yeah, he is. Anytime you get past 80 and you look somewhat still pretty good, I think you've done well.
3: Who looks better now? Jean-Paul Belmondo
2: or Delon? Ooh. Well, With, clothes or without. <laughs> one thing we do know
1: for sure, it's not Michael Constantine. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> uh, I would say De- DeLone, I would think. Yeah, I would say so. But Belmondo's got a great face. You know, it's it's a face that could, you know, it could turn to mush and it would still look great because he's got such a great yeah. face.
2: So Yeah, he looks like he's straight out of central casting. Yeah, yeah
1: I mean, he's got this one, totally. one of the great uh, movie faces, uh, John Paul Belmondo, uh, Belmondo. All right, well, what have you been watching lately, bud?
2: Not much, man. I
3: uh quiet week. My um school's starting soon, so we're trying to get as much done with the kids as we can. Yep. And my fucking Subaru blew a head gasket, so ooh. car hunting and all sorts of good stuff. So I didn't get really a whole lot in. Um a few things I did get in, I got in <laughs> <laughs> the boys we went to the library, so uh we let them rent some films and get some books and stuff. We kept it to one film and mostly books. So William picked the dog who saved Halloween. Um, this is uh, interesting because I, as I started watching it, I was struck by how much the dad in the house reminded me of like a homeless man's version of uh, Kevin James. Oh, really? Yeah, big time, big time. And then only for James McCormick to go, uh, that's his real life brother. And I'm like, you're so full of shit. There's no way that's his brother. And, he, and sure enough, it was his brother. They go by different last names.
1: Oh, yeah. Is that so, the guy that was on the show with him, yeah? Gary Valentine, I guess, is his name. His name. I'm, I'm looking this but, up now because
3: uh, I'm i I so thought curious. about you
1: because this might be a good one for you, being a dog lover. And oh, I, thought this, I thought this was older. It's actually quite new. Yeah. Well, Gary, it's cool. Gary I, Valentine. I blue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is Kevin James' brother, yeah. Gary Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh Not well, my Valentine. At least he's trying to make it on
3: his own, I guess. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kudos for that. But this has a bit of a GGTMC cast, and and uh you
1: know it has. Uh, it does. It does. I it see that does. now.
3: Lance Henriksen.
1: Hey, it's got, Jake, it's got it's got Joe Law in there. This the voice of Zeus, Joseph Lawrence.
3: <laughs> that's right, man. Joey Lawrence to voice, and it's ironic because Blossom voices another dog in it, Medusa.
1: Did I ever tell you guys I have a serious Blossom like my umbilic Okay. Thing.
3: That, now I know we're twins because I don't like her now. She looks too witchy now. But when the show was out and I was about ten or eleven years old, yeah. I was like, "Yep, I try on those hats." I still, I, 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 I still <laughs> again, I, it comes back to the big noses. Yeah,
1: that's kind of defi- that. Really, that uh, heavy feature on the face of the She's nose. Too witchy
3: now, though, man.
1: Yeah, she is a little bit.
3: But I'll I take you know, Winnie Cooper now every day. That's a tad,
1: yeah. I still wouldn't mind getting stuck between those two. Hey, this has got Louis Mandalore in it. Uh. Well, I was
3: getting to him. It's got Henriksen. so it was my kid's first uh, Henriksen jam. Curtis Armstrong. <laughs> it's got uh, Louis Mandalore and his wife, play like this Italian yuppie couple that's always jogging and very elitist. Yeah. Um, but most of most pleasant for all, it blew my kid's mind that Dean Kane, a former Superman, is is cleaning up dog shit because he's on. Um, uh, he's on parole. <laughs> him and uh, Joey Diaz are like the bumbling Home Alone. Cat burglar types, and always Ooh. picking up dog shit. Going against casting, going against type there, Dean Kane. Yeah, Dean Kane. But my big, uh, the big joy I got if it was watching Elisa Don- Elisa Donovan, uh, who was the the ginger from Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. She's nice and coogy now.
1: Oh, yes, I see so. that. This
3: wasn't a dreadful film. It was okay. It was what you'd expect from a film called yeah, The Dog yeah. Who Saved Halloween. You know, yeah. but uh, it's it's a transitional film for my kids from uh, animated to that. So watch that um then i got one off my big big one off my list of shame uh, i had never seen a planet of the apes film other than the tim burton one yeah so i think i told both of you guys off the air i watched it and i think the first one is a masterful film um anyone who hasn't been watching them they just it's not really their bag they don't think they'll enjoy it it's see sci-fi usually for me i i, I prefer horror to sci-fi but Because of some of the ideas and social commentary you you tend to get with really high-minded sci-fi like this, Um, I applaud it. I think this film works well as just sort of a pulpy, rompy adventure, and it also works well as social commentary and political commentary.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, And the the effects hold up great, you know.
1: Yeah, I think the the first film is required viewing by any movie fan. I would say so, too. Everything after that, I think, totally relies on your love of the apes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. But I got to, speaking of love, Linda Harrison, the
3: female lead in this, yeah. is one of the most gorgeous women I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing on screen in the past like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, she's unbelievably gorgeous.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh,
3: man, is she ever nice. The first shot and, I saw her in the film, I paused it. I took a picture. I said, she better be in the rest of this film. And <laughs> someone goes, oh, no, she's in the first two. And this was like,
1: yes. Did you do a Google, did you do a Google search? Oh yeah. Oh of course. There she
3: but she she married uh Richard uh Zanuck. Richard Zanuck so she didn't need to resort to to <laughs> yeah, third right. Re- I wish she had worked in in Italy in some jallies, though man. Yeah. But it's a shame she was she had that uh studio money so she didn't need to resort
1: to such things which beautiful woman. Oh yeah, um, yeah, she was in cocoon. I forgot she was in cocoon. She plays the mom in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, them, I had, a, when you were talking about her, I had, a, oh, she played Cheerleader number 2 on the Batman TV series. She's gorgeous, man. Uh, I mean, she's really something I had to else. think about her, and I, I couldn't quite picture her in my head, and uh, now I totally know who she is. Yep. You
3: see her back, like, for those that have never seen her, she, I guess maybe she could kind of be described as, like, a little bit more of a sultry version of uh, Phoebe Gates.
1: Yeah,
0: a little bit of
2: that yeah, one. Yeah, well, the, the, she's the second hottest woman to, to rock a fur bikini, too, so.
3: She is, that's right. She's in rarefied air, that's right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but that was good. Um, I'll jump ahead in the week I watched Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second one as well. I'm going to watch all of them. Um, second one's fine. Uh, it rehashes a lot. And they get, um, I was going to say Tab Hunter for some reason, Richard James Chamberlain, Frans. yeah, James Franciscus, uh, to take over for um, our good pal... Uh, uh, don't tell me. Chuck Heston. Mm-hmm. And it suffers from some of that stuff. But it's it's still a solid film, I think. Uh, it has some interesting wrinkles at the back end. And, um, you know, does some things. It's still, it's still a good film. I'm just pumped to get to the third and fourth ones, which everyone seems to really go bonkers for. So I think you know, J. Lee Thompson directed one, which means it's going to be sleazy and violent. So it yeah. <laughs> should be good. Yep. Uh, watched uh, the first third of Fanny and Alexander with my mom. Um it was good. You know, my mom's lives, lives you know, we, we did the basement for her. So she lives with us now. So it's nice to be able to watch some world cinema with my mom. And it was cool. Uh, I don't get to watch too many films with her. And if we do, it's usually kids' films. But I got to say it was awkward to see a, a lovemaking scene with my mother in the room. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's like uh, the last time I had to watch one with her was, was the uh, – the tent scene in Brokeback Mountain when we went to see it in the theater. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but this was good, man. I'm looking forward to finishing it. Um, as I get older, I think I appreciate Bergman more.
1: You know, it's weird. I used to watch movies with my mom all the time, and I was always fine watching sex scenes with my mom or my father in the room if it was standard sex. Yeah. The problem is, is when it would turn into something like uh, the doggy style from Roadhouse. Oh, man. And, like, you know, you got a character going, won't you be my Saturday night special every night? You oh, know, yeah. something like that. And then it gets really uncomfortable because that's when the dark side of your section, you know, the kind of kinky oh. side comes out, and you're looking at your mom and dad like, oh, fuck, I wonder if they're into that because I'm into that. You know, I wonder if they're yeah. into that.
3: It's awful, and I'm just staring through the TV screen, and, like, I feel myself going flush, and it's like, oh, this is fucking terrible.
2: Do you suddenly to- feel the need to grab a drink?
3: I, I did. I got up, went to the... The fucking fridge and got a, a glass of water. So. I'm
1: going to tell you, don't do the nymphomaniac double deuce.
3: Nope. <laughs> nope. Not going to happen. Well, Fabian, again, recounted his story of watching uh, <laughs> a history of violence with his mom.
1: <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That would be yeah, uncomfortable. That would be there, pal. Yeah. That, that so, goes into some different areas.
3: <laughs> that staircase scene.
1: Ooh. But <laughs> Harry what? muff there, boy.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time, man. Big time. So, yeah. You'd be better off watching
1: Eastern Promises
3: with your mom. (laughs) He he probably didn't feel too awesome watching that scene.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would have been right there on his shoulder going, A++. Yeah, man. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah,
3: I approve. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but um, Fanny Alexander, very, very good. And also, I should say, the titular Alexander, if you just glimpse at him, looks a teeny tiny bit like uh, Scott Clicker's son. Teeny tiny bit. Scott's oh, nice. son is more, I'm a more handsome young boy, but just a quick glimpse and it reminds me of him. So, yeah, uh, Bendy's Planet of the Apes talked about, uh, our two films we'll talk about on the show. Uh, then I did a slasher, which I got about halfway through before I just disintegrated into sleep. Uh, the, the initiation oh, yeah. with Daphne Zuniga and Hunter Tylo. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, it's on instant. I, th- I think it's on instant. Um, I was in the mood for something 80s I hadn't seen and. Uh, it starts off a little bit mediocre. It's a little bit gorier than average. But, um, yeah, I remember the poster. It's pretty iconic. Like The girl sort of has a candle with the wax melting. And,
1: Hunter Tylo you has know. always giving me a, uh, what's her name, Kelly LeBrock vibe. Oh, yeah.
3: I think she's a little, a little bit like the, the class man's Kelly LeBrock. Yeah. 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 She's good, though. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting what I saw I to finish it. Uh, I did. I was stuck in traffic for three hours last night. And uh, decided I was going to watch something on my phone. So I watched something <laughs> I could listen to in, trace, in case traffic started moving. Nice. And I watched a Louis Thoreau documentary, Louis Meets Jimmy. This is uh, Louis Meets Jimmy uh, Savile. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy, for those that don't know, he, and I knew about this case when it broke about a year or two ago. Um, Jimmy Savile. it's hard to, I'd asked for some, ask some friends who are British to kind of, what they can compare it to in terms of size of the celebrity. He's essentially a cross between, I think they said Casey Kasem and Jerry Lewis. Yeah, and he after his death, it was found out that there was just a dreadful amount of, of cover up and, and whatnot between hospitals and police and the BBC and everything else because he had uh, he had molested you know uh, yeah mentally handicapped people nobody even he, knows how many people he had he had, had sex with dead body I mean all, the most depraved repulsive repulsive things you can imagine. Wow. You know the case. It's baffling to me that it went on as long as it did. With whispers of it, it's like you think the numbers were in the hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, I think one would come forward. You know, when it, but anyway, it's it was dreadfully sad case. But it was an interesting look because this is before all this obviously got released. This all came to light. And I always like Louis Thoreau. I mean, his shtick. You know, he kind of gets to be a bit uh, calculated in terms of his playing. Sort of a he's a little bit sort of subtly passive aggressive about things. And yeah. but it's uh, it was good. It was good. And uh, yeah, and then I watched, uh, as I was doing some paperwork tonight, I just watched, sort of more listened to than watched the acting of Carrie, the documentary just that interviews a lot of the, uh, the principles from Carrie, right. yeah. um, which, as I've said several times, is you know, top five horror film for me. Um, I really love it, and just felt like I was in the mood to uh, hear some, some Carrie good- goodness. So yeah.
1: That's it. That's good stuff. Huh? I like the Will's Light Week is like everybody else's Heavy Week. So. Except Zom. <laughs> yeah, except Zom. Yeah. Nobody Oh I only here. I only did one, two, three, <laughs>
3: four, four, Oh, okay. I did seven. That isn't that light.
1: <laughs> yeah. It just felt light, maybe, because a lot of them weren't as memorable as maybe I didn't watch Vertigo or uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Raging Bull. Raging Bull, yeah. Bowl. Bowl, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Alright, I only watched a couple. Uh, I had a very busy week. Uh the clan here is getting ready, you know, we're starting to box up, so things are becoming very minimal. It's becoming like a, like an office and a futuristic sci-fi movie now in, in my house. It's getting more and more empty, and uh, so there's just less and less stuff around. So oh, yeah. I just you know catch whatever I can on streaming or on demand. So I came home the other night and I was tired as all dog shit, and I thought that's a very southern thing to say, by the way. And uh, I can't. And I thought nah, I'm just going to watch a little something on streaming and fall asleep. So I, I found this Hawking di- di- documentary, Stephen Hawking documentary. And i had been wanting to, you know, see it for a long time, but I, it's one of these ones where I had totally forgotten it existed. And it's basically it's a documentary. It's not Brief History of Time, the, the Errol Morse film where they use the, the voice thing. This is actually Hawking talking about his personal life and he's actually in it and he's talking about his personal life. And it's really just fascinating because there's footage of him before he, you know, before he became ill. How old was he, college age? Uh, he was, uh, yeah, by the time he got to be an early working professional, he was starting to become uh, very ill, debilitated, and, and he could barely a- talk and stuff. But he had, a, he had a normal, he had a semi-normal, I should say, uh, high school and college life. Here's, here's one of the crazy things about Hawking. He's one of the great minds of our time, right? Oh, yeah. He never even implied himself until he got out of school. He he just he just kind of went through school like willy nilly like I don't give a fuck. He had that total attitude, <laughs> and then when he gets out, he's like, oh well, maybe I ought to do something.
3: <laughs> That's crazy. There was actually a a Hawking film pre illness um, at TIFF this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, you know, he he w- he could communicate and stuff. And when he was teaching a lot in the early years and stuff, he could still talk, but he could just it was real raspy and and stuff. But anyway, this is really interesting because you get to see his you know yeah his kids uh his um his ex-wife, you know this kind of life that he once had I mean, he liked to drink, he liked to party. Uh, I mean these are all things that uh, you know I didn't know, uh, so uh I found it quite fascinating um I really did, and uh yeah it's 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 interesting, very interesting um and I'm not going to get into the details of why Hawking's an interesting man i mean if you if you know, you know, if you don't know, then maybe you should look it up but uh i i my brain doesn't even work on that kind of level.
0: Oh, mine neither. No. Not even yeah.
1: like the physics level. My brain doesn't even go there. So when I hear these, phys- you know, these physics guys talk—I almost said physicians—when I hear these uh, <laughs> physics guys talk about the stuff, I'm like, okay, that just went right over my head, man. Literally, I don't know what you're talking about.
3: It's- I have such stupid thoughts sometimes. Like, man, I'm just blown away that people know even how to make like fax machines. I'm still blown away by fax machines. Yeah, I know. I-, I can't even wrap my head around engineering <laughs> yeah. something like. Uh, putting the design on a chip bag. Like there's just basic things, man.
1: It's funny you mentioned that. I was making copies with the Xerox machine this past week and I remember thinking to myself, man, the Xerox <clears> machine <throat> is awesome. Man, yeah. this, like, whoever created yeah. this idea is great, man. This is awesome. Oh, man.
2: <laughs> well I get I get most of my uh, my science information from Beekman's world like, to this day. So <laughs> nice. I mean
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is Love worth it. that is worth a watch though. It's on instant uh, I would recommend people check it out, especially if you don't know a lot about Hawking. It's really interesting stuff um and the only other thing i watched i watched a documentary hbo did called captivated the trial of pamela smart now some of you might remember pamela smart was a teacher who slept with one of her students and the student ended up killing the husband and to die for the van zant movie and the book are semi based on this um so i thought it was going to be I didn't know what angle they were going to take with this film. I thought it was just going to be a kind of a catch up with Pamela Smart because she's in jail for life. The kids who did the murder or not, which is fascinating when you watch the documentary. But what's really fascinating about the Pamela Smart thing and why I think this is a valuable documentary is this was really the first trial that was televised beginning to end. And this was at a time when they didn't uh, sequester jurors from television or anything, so there are people on TV just coming on, you know, they're interviewing people on the street and saying, oh, yeah, that fucking bitch did it, you know, this, that, that, <laughs> you know. So you get all these jurors that are going home every night and they're watching this shit, you know. It's really, really bizarre that to think that that was allowed to happen. Uh, I have no skin in that game, so I have no, you know, I wasn't on the jury. I make no judgments. Whatever happened, whatever happened, it is what it is, as I always say. But I will say that if you watch this, you will see. What I believe is the the scourge of our modern era, which is the media. The media is – a good example is this Ferguson, Missouri thing. Uh, The media has taken this to levels of uh, total exploitation and bizarreness that I do not understand. And it's sad because I know people want to see and people want to watch. It's a natural human instinct. I don't judge people for looking at it. Um, But I do judge the media for putting people through this. So Sure. Was that, about,
3: was that like mid-80s maybe? Or?
1: Uh, that was early 90s actually, yeah.
3: I thought you're, – well, you're, you're talking about criminal trial then, right? mm mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. uh, like with, with
1: –
4: Yeah, it was a, a, it was a, a murder trial.
3: Yeah, it was a murder um, trial. Uh, politi- so I'm trying not to crinkle this bag as I close it. <laughs> the reason I say this is because I remember being a seven-year-old uh, here in fucking Canada and seeing Ollie North's trial. Like yeah, yeah. Every day it felt like on my on my grandfather's TV when we go see him. It was like every day I would see Ollie North on TV.
1: Yeah, that's a farce of a different nature, but <laughs> yeah, it sure is. The uh, the interesting thing about the Pamela Smart one is uh, it's just it it really just shows everything that's in it is completely relevant to what the media is today, and it's similar to the OJ documentary they did, well, the Thirty for Thirty, where they showed you that where you know you could say that might be the birth of quote unquote reality television. And I say quotes heavily there. So, yeah, I mean, you you, you see all this stuff in the just. And I'm more fascinated by it, you know. I don't watch any reality television really unless they're building something. If people are making something, I'll watch it. But if it's you know somebody that's popular and way more rich than me, just because they wear tight dresses, I won't watch it. Unless they no, unless they're not wearing tight dresses, then I might watch it. That's right, Sammy.
3: <laughs> like Jordy Shore. It. That's right. Yeah, and Jordy Shore is not bad.
1: Yeah, will turn um, me onto that.
0: Yeah.
3: It's uh, yeah. That's right. Not hard to
0: do.
3: Quick, uh, quick question, Sammy. Uh, Not to digress here, but this is how I want to further the the uh, the Bialik uh, litmus test. Uh, The OJ trial. What woman did you want to sleep with from the OJ trial?
1: Oh man, I got to go back and think about who was all in the OJ trial. Let me think about that while we take a break. Sounds like I lost somebody anyway. Oh, you lost me there. <laughs> yeah, I lost you for a second. You're back, right? I was just saying OJ trial. I, I For some reason, I
3: had a strange um, uh, attraction to Faye Resnick.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 man, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking at Faye right now. Amazing. Yep. Oh Max and Zamot. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna take a uh, oh, short break and come back. Uh, that's all I watched. Like I said, uh, <laughs> we're gonna. Uh, yeah, I started watching the Wolverine. Uh, more on that later. Uh, when uh, next week, when I finish it, hopefully. Nice. All right. So all I will say is Hugh Jackman is very sinewy. I don't think I've ever seen an actor get more muscle bound for a character in my life. Oh, I know. All right. We'll be back right after this.
0: American Dream. He's just a common man. The American Dream. dust the road be this. I'm coming to you live in a living color. Speak to you, the American people. A podcast called Silver gold daddy you know there's the american green Dusty roads knows how to bring home the gold daddy and just like henry silva sticking Barbara boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling silva and gold will stick it to you Stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, Daddy, and all points in between. They'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a thousand caucus hanging from the ceiling, Daddy. Silver and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. Thank you.
1: I mean, we we kind of had to play that, didn't we? I mean, there wasn't really much. I mean, I can't argue that one. I can't. No. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of had to. I mean, that was my introduction to this film. So, uh, okay. So, we are doing Freaks here. 1932, directed by one Todd Browning from Louisville, Kentucky. It should be said. Very popular. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, very popular Louisvillian, actually. His uh, uncle. Is basically uh the creator of the uh in a way of the uh, Hillwich and Brasby Louisville Slugger baseball bat. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's <was> Todd <laughs> <Nice>. Browning. <laughs> so dropping Louisville knowledge, man. Yeah, he uh he left town to join the circus. And that's a true story.
4: <clears throat> mm.
1: But very interesting. Uh there's a there's a biography of Browning out there somewhere. I actually have a hard copy of it somewhere in storage somewhere, who knows where. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I'll look it up as we're talking about it here, but I highly recommend people check it out. He's a fascinating guy and uh, And we'll get into his career a little bit here. So Freaks 1932 a circus beautiful circuses beautiful trapeze artist agrees to marry the leader of sideshow performers, but his deformed friends discover she's only marrying marrying him for his inheritance.: Oh, I say that Fraulein uh there'll probably be some strange impersonations and (laughs) odd behavior from uh this set of freaks doing this show right here um okay so who wants to lead on this um i think before we even do that i'd like to know why todd picked this
2: film
3: i think we we kind of know but let's for our listeners why did todd pick this film
2: uh well for me freaks is a movie that is not as seen as it should be number one and number two i think it's far more influential today uh, than a whole lot of more popular movies are. Hmm. Um, I know that for me, I, I mean, not to be too, uh, too spoilery, but, uh, you know, I, I love this movie uh, with all my heart. Um, and uh, and that, that's a big reason why. And, and also because, you know, as far as the, the show goes, you know, I, I want to hear, I like to hear about uh, some, some older movies, some stuff, you know, before like the seventies and that. So I figured uh we'd throw this one in there and plus I know that you had only just come to this one, I believe, uh what, a few months ago, correct?
3: Yeah, one of the last movies I watched in my um my other house, my old house. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so. I figured uh yeah, might as well get it done. And that's yeah. why I picked it. Nice.
3: Very cool. Nice. This was a big list of shame
1: one for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Freaks is um Rather, you know, that it was kind of one of the first films that I remember people talking about—not um, my parents or anything, other people and film scholars on television and interviews and things like that, talking about, oh, have you seen Freaks? Have you seen Todd Browning's Freaks? Have you seen Todd? You know, and of course, you know, I knew of Browning because you know, Louisville has a couple of high honors when it comes to filmmaking. I got Todd Browning, and we got uh, D.W. Griffith, who's actually buried here. But, uh, of course, Griffith has a bit of a checkered past. Sure does. (laughs) But, uh, you know, if you came from this area back in that day, uh, it's not as checkered as you would think. But anyway, beside that, I mean, uh, so, you know, when I was younger, I started looking into filmmakers from the area. And, uh, of course, eventually I ended up leaning more toward uh, the guy that did uh, Grizzly. And uh, (laughs) what was his name again? I can't remember his name now. William Girdler. Yeah, Yeah, Girdler. Girdler, That's right. He's buried here as well. He's actually buried right down the road from where I'm at right now. Wow. And... uh, So, you know, it's, it's 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 interesting, right? I mean, you always want to, you know, kind of cheer on the people that come from where you come from, because... absolutely, Especially kind of a small city, like where I'm from, because it's, you know, we just don't have a lot of... I mean, we may have the biggest sports star of all time that came out of the city, but we don't yeah. have a whole lot of uh, big entertainers or big artists, in my opinion. Uh, and Browning and uh, Griffin were probably the two biggest as far as influence. I mean, uh, we'll get into this more as we talk about it, but Browning was... Not exactly... I don't know if you could consider him a stylist, mm. but I think his themes weigh heavy on Hollywood history. So, all right. So, anybody else want to lead? Me, uh Well, hey, well, you know what? You um, just watched it this past year, you, you lead. Sure. Because yeah. you've seen it twice now in the last couple yeah. months.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Freaks. I think it might be the might be the oldest film we've done on the show?
1: I think Night Nurse might be the same. How old year. is Night Nurse
3: though? It's right around I think here. that was 31. Oh, yes, yes. We,
1: you, Todd and I talked about this I think the other night. Yeah, because didn't, didn't you watch Night Nurse recently, Todd? Or
2: somebody did. Yeah, yeah, I just caught up with Night Nurse, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: That's right. So this is pushing the envelope as far as oldest film, and we should get more old film on the show certainly, so it was it was a nice bit of programming by Todd. What was the M? Him um, was
1: 1932, maybe?
3: Somewhere at 32, 33. Uh... 1931. So, oh, okay. So this is in the bronze medal now <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: for um, for old films. But uh, in saying that, it's it's a very 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 influential film, and this kind of gets this is an early film that I feel like um, it gets lumped in as a horror film, quote unquote. But uh, it it's more you know in the, the terminology we would use nowadays, a midnight film. In some ways, mm. uh, it's a film that very clearly. Influenced a lot of filmmakers that people like us really love, Jodorowsky, Harmony Korine, miss um, a multitude of filmmakers. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned Korine.
1: I get a, I get a very strong Browning vibe from Korine. Oh, big time! And his big kind time. of fascination with the kind of other side of of Herzog, I feel like as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's um, this is where we'll get into we should say that for those who don't know maybe you know people aren't imdb hunters or movie nostalgists or researchers or lovers like we are so they might just listen to the show for entertainment but browning is probably most known for i guess i guess dracula would be the thing he's most known probably, for probably yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well
2: that that and the you know london after midnight
1: yeah the, the infamous lost film that yeah. uh, we've seen stills from but nobody's ever seen the film which i keep hoping yep. someday somebody will find that film because it's like, you know, a Holy grail film. If there ever was one, the London after midnight, but, um, this film pretty much did him in. Uh, yep. he did a couple films after this, including another vampire film with Legosi. but this one was pretty much into the road. This is the old Hollywood style where, you know, you go, you rub these guys the wrong way and you're pretty much done. You'll never work in this town again, kid. And, uh, so this one pretty much did him in. So this was a big risk. And uh, I guess you know, in hindsight, it's paid off for Browning, <laughs> but uh, at the time, it uh, it you know pretty much debilitated him, and he pretty much ended up. I think uh, he didn't die penniless, but I think he died pretty much in in exile. Nobody really, nobody from the old days ever really talked to him anymore. It's well, funny. To,
2: Go ahead, yeah, Todd. I was just I was just gonna say, uh, you know, we we say that it, it it ruined his career, but at the same time, I mean, when you look at the movie, you, you, you're watching it, and you're thinking to yourself. How did this get made even back then?
0: Yeah. Well, you know what I was going to say.
2: Who thought that this would would be something that would would be palatable to people back in 1932? There is a –
1: yeah, because the thing about freaks is not only do you have the quote-unquote freaks, these are people with deformities, circus performers, uh, things like that. But you have this really – and the more and more I watch this, the more and more this comes through, this heavy sexual innuendo throughout the whole film. This movie is all about fucking <laughs> I mean for a film of this era, I mean, everybody's wanting to fuck each other.
3: <laughs> well, it's it's the people that it live in basically this this a small yeah. community where the mm-hmm. people that live on the fringes of society and you got you 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 know, it'll be a lot of these people's first chance to identify with someone that's looking at them as an equal. Um so I feel like that definitely factors in because we see some of the the domestic uh, – some, some stuff played for humor and other stuff a little more heavy. But yeah, a lot of sexual stuff and very subtle certainly for the time.
1: Um, yeah. Well, actually, it, I think it's pretty – for the well, time, I think
3: it, it's well, pretty – Well, yeah. It's very overt for the
1: time. Yeah, very subtle uh, now, right? But yes, yeah, more
3: subtle now in some ways. But it's <laughs> – I mean, uh, we've all
1: Googled Bridget the Midget at this point. So we all know – Yes. This is <laughs> – nothing in this is going to blow our, our minds. But no, at the same time, when you – Think about the average moviegoer in 1931, 32. They go to the movies. They want to see something titillating, something exploitive. I don't think they wanted to see this. I can't imagine. <laughs> I you, you mentioned this. I cannot
3: imagine the reviews that would come out about this film when it came out. Like, I, I want to go buy and try to find some. Because yeah. this, film, like, this film, I don't know how it got made then. It could never get made now for the most part. Maybe the seventies was the last time you could really do this or someone like Jodorowski who kind of works on his own Island, um, or Corinne, you know, people that work outside of the studio system, you know, we live in a very politically correct age. And I think one of the genius things, the title I think is very ingenious, you know, what it means depending on perspective. Uh,
2: -hmm.
3: yeah, I really think that works well, certainly. And I think, you know, kudos to Browning, um, to humanize a group of people that unfortunately were living on the fringes of society. And, uh, it just, you know, certainly so to give it, to get a slice of life and to see them and seeing, you know, what we all, you know, what we all know to be true is that, you know, regardless of whether you're a circus performer or a Siamese, I mean, everyone has the same needs wants, And this story, if you, you know, transferred all of the elements to, um, a, you know, business tower or a, a newspaper, you could essentially, for the most part, I mean, with, with some rejigging a little bit, you know, set it anywhere. Um, but there's certain elements that obviously are specific to this, like the the dinner and, you know, the speech and the infamous speech and stuff, but, or the chanting. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think one of the things I like too is how Browning, despite this film only being, what, 65 minutes long, gives all the characters a chance to shine yeah we all all of the characters feel humanized it feels like he respects the people in his film
1: yeah he gives everybody their moment because as i said before he he kind of ran away and ended up going getting into the circus stuff and he actually knew dw griffith in his youth and kind of stuff it just all kinds of stuff like that but he was with these these were his people quote unquote mm-hmm. And, Which you can tell, yeah, because he respects. Yeah, he respects them. You know, he respects uh, people that I think society would have, you know, shunned, shunned
3: in a big way. Yeah. And you know, we get to sort of hear their inner monologue through some of the lines in the film, and even one of the early ones. And I have to say, I always felt Harry Earls, who plays Hans in this,
4: mm-hmm.
3: even though I'd never seen it, I always had thought that Harry Earls was the same uh, Hungarian. Uh, little person, uh, Michu Meseros, Mizaros, who played Hans in Waxwork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the little butler, yeah. who's mentioned that on the show before. So uh, I always confuse those two. But even in his opening, in one of the early lines from him, he says, uh, I think he says to, what's her name? Uh, the, the awful woman in it. Uh, uh, Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Uh, Cleo. He says, you know, are you, or maybe he says to them, he says to Mace, are you laughing? You know they don't realize I'm a man with the same feeling as they have, and it sounds simplistic to just kind of recite the line. But I just think to sort of give a lot of these characters in their monologue uh, an external kind of uh, springboard or sounding board amongst themselves works really well. Uh, at the time when people wouldn't have been as informed, um, and it would have been you know a bit of a sideshow for
2: people. Well, to see. I, I think that I think that 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 scene there. I mean, that kind of starts off the whole the whole thing about uh, you know the. The attitude that the, that the freaks in the in the carnival have, you know, that they're, they they understand how people look at them, but that doesn't mean that they like it, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. yeah. I think uh, one of the things... She, is she, te- she oh, teases
2: him in that scene.
1: Yeah, she does. One of the things that's interesting about the Harry Earls, or the Hans character, too, is you know, they give him all this dialogue, and a lot of what he's saying is very heartfelt and everything else, and it's coming from this little person, but it's coming from this little person with a very... And, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory way. I don't mean it in any way, but a very kind of Im- maybe b- boyish voice that mm-hmm. makes it just that much more. I don't know. For me, it just makes it that much more kind of odd, and it just kind of comes off as this really bizarre relationship or this want of a relationship between him and the Cleopatra character. This very sexual. Uh, you know, he's you, that when we see him looking at her, he wants her, and then the next time we see him, they're behind the tent backstage. While Hercules is doing his thing and, and he's ogling her, I mean he's not he's not just checking her out. I mean he's 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 looking for camel toe. This kid, this guy's yeah. looking. He's looking for action, you know. And he then is. and then you get these these. His sister plays the Frida character, Daisy Girls, which yep. when I was when I was younger, I watched. It, I'm like, I, I never bought that relationship. Well, now I know why Browning didn't want to make brother and sister kiss and stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but she has this very, uh, very childlike voice as well. And not only that, she even, she even pronounces some of her words very childlike. Almost sounded like my infant son back when he would say the word burger or something. It's a burger.
3: But in saying that, coming over from, I would say, assume Austria or Germany, yeah. that would have factored yeah, into Yeah, they're,
1: they're German. Uh, yeah. From uh, Stolpen. Stolpen. So, I guess that's how you say it.
3: <laughs> I mean, you know, it goes to show the prison that a lot of these people lived in. Yeah. Were prisoners in their own body.
1: Mm-hmm. I think they right? were Vaudeville. Um, actors as well. I think they, they oh, sure, I'm sure, whole by the uh, yeah. yeah, I think their whole family was miniature. I think they were called the Living Dolls or something like that. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually yeah,
2: to- the, Earls, the Earl's family was real big, yeah.
3: And I love, um, one of the early scenes too when we see, um, uh, well, I think just the indignities that they suffer in and out of the show, um, even when you know they're out in a stream in the forest, um, just To see what was the woman, Madame Tetralini, was that the woman? Yeah, who kind of was like a maternal figure
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: for um, the Schwartz,
2: Schlitzy,
3: Schlitzy for, for Pip and Zip, or you know, the they're known Elvira, as Elvira Jenny
2: Lee and Schlitzy,
3: yeah, yeah, she's sort of the very maternal figure for them. And and the guy, uh, who's um, he's uh, I'm just stumbling around here, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> no. the man, the African American man who had no arms or legs.
2: Prince Randian, yeah.
3: Yeah. What's great about him is I remember years and years ago um, seeing uh, an ad about or something about him in the back of a comic book and talking about how this guy, uh, you know, he had no arms or legs, but he, you know, apparently provided well enough for his family that his kids all went to college and, you know, married and this and that and because you know, yeah, the human caterpillar. So I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, they had five they had five Together. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting. But so I kind of, that's how I remembered him. But um, yeah, just a lot of the indignities they suffer and um, in and out. It's like there's no escape from it, even when they're just, you know, in the tranquility of nature. Um, One of the things I find interesting about this film is that Browning doesn't paint, as much as we certainly, certainly feel terrible for what's happened to Hans and the humiliation he has to endure, he's not an innocent party in all of this.
1: No, 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 no. That's oh, the, I mean,
3: he, he, It's careful what you wish for. I mean, yeah. you're going to chase the unicorn.
1: That's that's where the. Know? I think the Todd Browning influence comes from because Browning was fascinated with people. He was fascinated with people who, well, I guess you could say anti-heroes now. But uh, a lot of the flawed. films, he, yeah, he liked flawed. He liked the, the errors in humans. I mean, he really liked that. And that's why he worked with Chaney a lot. And they both had a fascination with people who definitely had a dark side and stuff. So Browning... You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't shy away from the fact that, uh, you know, what you get in the finale of this thing is, is just, it's awful (laughs) what they do. Uh, I'm not going to give it away for those who don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he just, they go for it.
3: They do, but I just feel like he doesn't let him off the hook. There's... There's other characters that are more pure of heart. I just think it's the thing of chasing that unicorn, that, you know, wanting what you can't have. But it's good that he doesn't... I feel like a lot of times my problem with some older films is you don't get the same subtlety or nuance that you do with films nowadays. And it's no fault of those films. You have to look at them with context. But I feel like a filmmaker like Browning and, um, and Long, Fritz Long and other people were so good that even back then their films had subtlety and nuance and characters with shades of grey, like yeah. in this film.
1: I think if there's any issue with freaks for me watching it again this time. I've seen it, uh, you know, handful if not more times. Um, it's it's the same old things, you know. It's the the way actors spoke in the 30s. Sure, uh, sure. You know, you got your Frozo, the Wallace Ford character. You know, he's he's got the old uh, yeah yeah. I'll get you right on the kiss here. You know that kind of you know this kind of just kind of way they acting was done back then which is i like him actually a lot in the film oh he's great in the film yeah he's great because you know he is the heart of the movie in a lot of ways because he is like the best of both worlds for these uh people who have these issues because he's he's a fellow performer yet he sees them as people He doesn't think anything of it. There's a really he can walk
3: between the two worlds. Yeah,
1: there's a very funny dark comic scene where he goes to see the bearded (laughs) lady's yeah uh, baby. And (laughs) you know it's it's you got to see it. I don't want to give it away. This film's not very long, so there's not a whole lot of moments, and I don't want to give any of them away for anybody that hasn't seen it. But not only the 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 dialogue, but it's also you know the 1930s type editing. There's very harsh cuts. There are Um, yeah there are. So it's not a real fluid movie. And it should be said, there's 30 minutes of this film. They don't exist anymore. Um, Thirty minutes that got excised from uh, the finished cut. Um, I think they slimmed it down to the smaller cut, uh, and of course, you know that was not taken care of, and it's gone. So we'll never really know all of what was in there. But I feel like there was probably a lot more stuff in there that uh, you know we'll just we'll never get to see. But still, yeah. still that this film packs the punch it does with all that cut out. It's it's it reminds me. I mean, you could compare it to the Ambersons then, because yeah, right. That's another film that had thirty to forty five minutes cut out, and it's still a magnificent mm-hmm. film. So
3: it is. Yep. Testament to the strength of the uh, filmmaker and whatnot. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, another person I really like in the film. She's been on our show before, ironically, with a film from the same year. I love, I love Layla Hyams in the
2: film.
1: Oh yeah, she's great.
3: She and she, I think she's quite, quite frankly, I think she's beautiful. She reminds me of like Naomi
2: Watts. Yeah, a little bit.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I can like, see that. But, I'm looking uh, at her yeah, right now. She was uh, in Island of Lost Souls, so she's yeah. been on
1: our show a few times now. Well, there's but, another uh, GG around here too, man. Uh, Angela Rosito's in there. That's right, man. Yeah, well, the master, the master Blaster. The Master <laughs>
3: Blaster's in this, that's right. Yeah, the Master. I was going to mention
1: that. <laughs> it's amazing.
3: He's been on the show twice now.
1: He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he might end up on the show again. I'm going to look through his filmography, but he, he did quite a bit of stuff. Yeah.
2: Well, I I remember mostly from uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein, the Al Adamson crap fest. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The, the 60s, the, I think, or early 70s.
1: Yeah. 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 He's in all kinds of stuff. The Offspring, oh, and Galaxina. Yeah. Oh.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I like Galaxina. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too uh, cool on it either. It's all right.
1: So. Yeah, Brain of yeah. Blood. I mean, there's 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 definitely some uh, material we could probably draw from. We'll probably run into. Oh, he's in Confessions of an Opium Eater, which is. Something I kind of wanted to cover at some point. So there you go. Nice. Very oh, nice. he's in Hell's a Poppin'. I'm sure we'll get around to that at some point.
3: So. Which I, if you haven't seen Hell's a Poppin', it's my favorite comedy of the time. I think it's... It's outstanding.
1: It's so brilliant. It's another I, film where you think to yourself,
3: how did this get how made? How did this get made? It is so amazing. Hell's a Poppin' might be on YouTube. Yeah. it. If it's not, just go Google Hell's a Poppin'. H e l l z a p p o i p o p p i n. It's just tremendous. Um... But, yeah, I think, too, with films, this was just just getting out of the silent era, right? Yeah. yeah. So one of the things I find is I, I almost feel like whenever I watch films that are just sort of immediately following the silent era is how, you know, they tend to be very zingy with their dialogue. And it's almost like they were starving for so long to be able to, to talk and they, they end up stuffing a lot of – and it works, you know, well, not a criticism but more of an observation – is a lot of the, the zinging back and forth between characters you see in a lot of older films. Now part of that comes with film language and, and technique of the time and what have you, but I also just feel like it's, it's, a, it's a curious thing that they were like a horse penned in, and then when, when the talkies came into effect that just everyone was pretty, very talky.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah, that was. And also, we, I should also say, I, don't, I sound like the world's greatest Todd Browning expert all of a sudden, but I should also say that Browning wasn't ready for sound either. This is a guy who worked, who the majority of his filmography is silent films. Yeah. So he was not quite ready. And that's why when you watch Dracula, a lot of the complaints I hear about Universal's Dracula is, man, there's long moments where nothing's really happening. (laughs) Well, there's long moments of silence in Dracula because I just think that's a filmmaker who's still trying to find his way (laughs) with sound and sound design and stuff. You know, you don't have him like you got a Scorsese or somebody who's like totally obsessed with sound, you know.
3: That's right. Well, it was a visual, a visual medium, and it became very much a verbal medium, uh, in a lot of ways. You know, well,
2: especially then, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, but uh, yeah, again, just reiterating, I think there's a lot of sweet, sweet moments that are brief and never feel like they're rushed. Um, as much as she's, oh, she's so easy to hate. Um, Olga uh, and, Rick, and Hercules, both of them, yeah. and Hercules, who's the least muscular strongman in the history of cinema, <laughs> because we, we've set off there. He's more Iron Mike Sharp than uh, oh, yeah. than Lou Ferrigno, but you know, for the time, I guess uh, they're pretty dreadful people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's certain certainly, and I think both films, interestingly, this week, you know, they both are are sort of kindred spirits with the films of Jacopetti and. And um, all the, the Mondo Kane guys, yeah. you know, forcing sort of people to examine themselves and, and you know, it's much as it become cliche to say, but who are the monsters?
1: Yeah, we always I, find it interesting when a guest comes on. You know, Todd's a friend of ours, but it's always interesting when anybody comes on, they program the show because Will and I will always talk behind the scenes with each other um, that I wonder sometimes if, you know, the the guest or the friends that are coming on or picking these films because of a common theme and stuff and this one doesn't have so much of a common theme but it does have some thematic elements that are very similar between this and lost souls especially the humanity the or the lack thereof yeah towards Uh,
3: a a group of people simply because they're able to
1: yeah simply because they exist
2: Mm-hmm. Simply because they're other, yeah. Yeah, that's
1: right. So, so that was interesting to us when we, we watched it. Was that I, intentional? No, I
2: guess not. Uh, that was not intentional no. on my part, no. no.
1: But it is interesting, though, because I think, and you know what, I, I think this type of cinema appeals to people who are very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
3: Feel like outsiders looking well, at it. Yeah, maybe, maybe that sometimes. Marginalized might seem strong, but Mar- you will. Yeah, sort of maybe
1: a, empathy of some sorts toward certain you know i mean i have a lot of empathy toward you know when i watch the news i have a hard time with uh you know when i see other countries the kids and the people oh, being man. just tramped and stomped on and you know it, it just it really brings me down you know it just really it really as uh peter fonda would say man it really harshes my buzz man <laughs> you know really yeah. really kind of crimps it man but <laughs> puts, <I laughs> puts a crimp is. in it like uh my umbilical hair back in the yeah, uh, 90s 80s mm-hmm. 90s That's but right. but uh I found myself at times in this film, not this film in particular, because I've seen it so many times, but definitely in the other one, which we'll talk about a little later, uh, almost becoming nauseous from oh yeah, mankind's did humanity crazy. treatment of each cruelty. It, yeah, the cruelty, and that's that's always a really hard thing for me. Cruelty is is tough. It's one of the reasons why I don't like to watch the cannibal movies because they're so yeah, cruel. They're it's, very harsh now. Yeah, so very harsh. but. I did find it, me and Will were talking on the phone, and I found it interesting, and I I, I remember even saying, I wonder what Todd was going for here with these picks because uh, I'm feeling, you know, there's some, uh, the real monster is the human being type vibe going on here, because that's really what kind of transpires through both films.
3: Both films. One of the cruelest lines, I have to say that Hans is a very well-dressed small man. (laughs) Oh, yes, he is. Impeccably tailored.
1: I like his hair. It's very nice and combed. He's kind
3: going on. Um,
1: He likes the
2: pomade. Yeah, he yeah, sure does he like does. the pom-
3: it, Uh the, just the cruelest line uh, when Olga says to him at the um, the banquet, she says, "Are you a man or a baby?"
1: Yeah.
3: Oh, yep. and then they put him on her back and, or, and her shoulders. It's just, it's so appalling to see. <laughs> I know it's awful. It is so awful. Um, well,
2: that, the uh, the thing with the with him with the riding her around like a horse. Mm. I think goes back to what we were saying about, you know, the, the whole psycho sexual kind of thing. Yeah. With things. You're wondering like, what would this be like? And then eventually it's kind of like Browning showing you, well, this is what sex with these two guys would kind of be like. Yep. At least in my mind. I mean, that's kind of,
3: Oh, for sure. For sure. And I won't talk too much more, you know, the, the back end of the film, the finale is really, really fantastic and great use of shadows. It's so iconic. And, um, you know, rain is used to great effect and shadows and I think the the yeah. message of family, um, you know, because in some ways Hans is like the big brother to some of them or to, you know, the little brother, I guess, yeah. not to be punny about it. But, um, you know, he's a brother regardless and, uh, you know, the family has to stick together. Um, yeah. Uh, and I wonder if the very end that we see, if that's if that was tacked down by the studio.
2: Yeah. That's what I, feel, I,
3: I feel I feel like that wouldn't have been where Browning would have ended it. He would have ended it immediately before that uh, epilogue. Yep.
1: Yeah, I feel that way too. I, I, it's a weird, it's a weird ending in a weird way.
3: <laughs> it feels like a studio would be like, yeah, let's do that.
1: But it, but, uh, I was sitting there thinking about the, the Browning and about the fact that he, you know, through most of the film, it's very, it's kind of static. And not hyper stylized and stuff. And then, like, when he gets to the back end, it makes me wonder of the 30 minutes that are missing if there's more of that stylishness. The kind of stuff that he. Because, like I said, he's not really a stylist, so to speak, but he did, you know, make Dracula, a very influential horror film. He did make um, Freaks. And these, the use of shadows and all these things that are done in those two films, I mean, you could argue. I don't think he's the first one or the last one to do that, but you could argue that it is still very influential stuff, right? The rain and. Yeah. I love the switchblade. The switchblade uh, with oh, the yeah. one small guy pulls and very GGT TMC moment. He breathes on it to kind of polish it up a little yeah. bit. You well,
2: know. I think I think that it's the difference between uh, how he moves the camera and how he composes his shots. He's not. A, he doesn't really like. He doesn't really. He never really moved the camera a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, his cinematographers would be more responsible for that. But he was really good at his compositions. I think are where Browning's style comes from. Yeah. And that's why I think why, why you get, you know, so many of these great shots in uh, in Dracula that we still think about today, like with the web and yeah. on the staircase and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, because this is a director that, you know, turned Bela Lugosi into a gigantic star. I oh, mean, yeah. with, with one shot, he turned him into a, you know, a gigantic star yeah. for, you know, however brief that time was, but it was uh, still, you know, a star making moment. So mm-hmm. he knew what he had. Um. I don't really have a lot more to add to it uh, other than I'm trying to think because I feel like I've, you know, I don't think I have any more Todd facts. Not Todd, the guest, Todd Browning. First, yeah, we're I,
2: not related. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although the Todd on the other end of this call, he does like to give everybody a Browning, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I like, like Will said, though, I I, I do want to say, I mean – do we know – I guess we can't say that for sure that this is the first exploitation film um, because I'm sure you could say that about some silent era stuff. And really the the the, the, uh, the, the train film, the early Edison film of the train coming toward people and people oh, paying – Wasn't money that the, to, the,
3: the, the French brothers? The, or whoever
1: it was. I can't remember who it was. But anyway, the uh, was but the, the train coming toward them and people paying a quarter to go in and then freaking out. I mean yeah. you could say that's exploitation. <laughs> Because sure, sure. You're, you're exploiting people's fears, something they've never seen before. So I, you can't make that argument. But for me, this does feel like one of the very first films to kind of take advantage of. Not take advantage. I don't want to say that. That, that. that 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 seems harsh. But to take a, a, a segment of society and really use it, not only to bring attention to it, but to exploit it as well. Yep. Uh, which is what. 70s exploitation, a lot of that did. And of course, some of that didn't, they didn't do it the right way. They, it was literally exploiting people. (laughs) But, uh, and some of the cannibal films is literally exploiting anything they could get a hold of. Uh, like, oh, there's a turtle over there. Fuck it. Roll film. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it has to be one of the earliest ones. And, and I can see where this film would have really hurt. It's really weird because this film not only hurt Todd Browning, but it also hurt Irving Thalberg. Now Irving Thalberg was the wonder boy at MGM. He was uh he made hit after hit after hit, big producer, big deal. Um uh, he just he couldn't do no wrong. And then he wanted to make a movie that was supposed to be he wanted to make us the scariest movie ever made. That was his words to Browning. And this is what they kind of came up with and this pretty much ruined Thalberg as well. So
3: so funny to hear so many great filmmakers get ruined because their films were just Society and critical eyes weren't ready for them. Whether it's uh, Island of Lost Souls, whether it's Peeping Tom, whether it's this, whether it's John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: Yeah, it's just well, yeah, that's a good example. of The Thing. I mean, uh, Apocalypse Now is a good example. There were yeah. good. There were good. Obviously, there were great Coppola films after that. But everybody usually thinks of Apocalypse Now and Back. Those films: The Godfather, Godfather Two, mm-hmm. Conversation, Apocalypse Now. That's usually the ones. And then they think he lost his mind. I mean sure you can say that and that does happen but then of course for every time that happens there's a heaven's gate right so there's there is a director who loses his mind um i don't know if i ever told you get told you this will but did you know that like chimino on this is way out of left field but i gotta say this because we're mentioning these you know artists who you know did the film that did them in chimino on heaven's gate at one point in time he shot for 16 days i think and he only had six minutes worth of film that he could oh use. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and that was the first 16 days. And the producers are like, "We might be in trouble." <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so yeah, we should do Heaven's Gate at some point in time because it's to. it's fascinating. It's a fascinating I'd love film. To. But uh, yeah, no, I think everybody should. I don't think everybody should see Freaks. I think everybody should own Freaks. I think Freaks is like a great yeah. a great piece of cinema history. Like if you're a, a cinephile. A movie buff, uh, film geek, whatever you want to call yourself. Will doesn't like that term, but whatever you want to call yourself. Uh, this has got to be in your collection. Even, I think, if you don't love the movie, because I think this is like some films. I think this is just, it's it's so important that... It's hard to argue its importance. It, it's just, but I, but I, I think it's a little different in some ways because I think some films we've talked about in the past that are highly influential and I don't really care for them. I actually think Freaks is a solid film and a highly influential film. So.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. And really, of that period of horror, I know you've been going through the horror films recently, and that period of the early thirties, from the nineteen thirty to about nineteen, I guess thirty six, and then I guess they got into some other stuff in the forties, but. Those first five or six years, all these horror films were made. And I think this might be my f- well, if you want to call it a horror film, uh, that's that's arguable, but let's just say it is. I mean, this might be the the cream of the crop that really got made in that time.
2: Uh,
1: although uh, Frankenstein's hard to argue yeah. with, so Bride of Frankenstein, yeah, and that's hard to argue with, too. And so's Dracula, for Christ's sake. So, I guess I'm yeah. not really gonna win that argument, <laughs> but but I think so. There's so much quality, right? Yeah, it was a golden period, it was, uh. It was the first, like it was like one of the first really great periods in Hollywood.
2: Yeah, yep. Right. I uh, agree with that. You got anything else, Todd? Uh I I do have uh, some notes here. I'll try and fly through them. Go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah. go ahead. Let's see. Uh, I love it how the uh, they incorporated the title card into the film with the uh, the Barker tearing through it. Oh. I don't know if they actually which is a great which
3: the is a great bookends. I feel like.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the, the other thing. Is, uh, it, it's a, a great tease because they set it up from the very beginning mm. that this is a revenge story. Yeah. Uh, so you're automatically, I mean, that sets the hook, and then the rest of it is watching it and you know trying to to get to where it uh, where it comes to. Um, you mentioned the uh, the scene down by the uh, down by the the river on the guy's property. I absolutely love that scene with the uh, oh, the yeah. microcephalics uh, dancing in the forest. And, you that's know, she, she's like she's like guarding them and saying, you oh, they're just children. They're just playing like children. And, man, that just absolutely tears the friggin heart right out of me yep. every time yeah. I see it. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it, it it's, it's a scene that is very careful it, to uh, to point out the, that uh, perception is important and yes. looks are often deceiving. And that's kind of the whole point that I got out of that. Uh, and and I mean, you could even if you really really wanted to, you could sit there and make comparisons between that scene and you know like you know have it relate to uh, to race and gender issues if you if you wanted to. Oh, well, you um, certainly could. Uh, I love that uh, Hercules wears the short shorts and he really really likes perfume.
3: <laughs> he loves he loves uh, eggs.
2: Yeah, oh, I was yeah, six fried eggs are sexy. Five Fuck. would be less so. Uh, yeah. He's he wasn't that hungry, so only six eggs. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Make it six. (laughs) I'm not that hungry. (laughs) Uh, Venus uh, draws parallel.
1: Wait, wait, there might be. Was Blossom's best friend named Six? Yes. Oh, there you go. Oh man, it's it's this is getting it's it's getting weird now.
2: She was a wild child.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, she was named Six for Christ's sake. Well, yeah. If I had named my son Eight, he'd probably be wild too. (laughs) Hey, Eight, get over here. (laughs) What'd you eat, Eight?
2: I remember the the Saturday Night Live where uh, I think the guy that played Blossom's dad was the host, I think, and they did a, a skit with the uh, of Blossom from there. And it was just, it was just the two of them saying, uh, well, he would say something to the effect of, "Hey Blossom, I found these uh, I found these car keys in your in your purse. What are you driving now?" And, and she would like lose her mind about it. And Six would sit there and go, "Those aren't car keys, Mister Russo. Those are condoms for a party." <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things you probably kind of have to see, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, every time I think of a uh, blossom, I think of that skit. <laughs> um, okay. We're uh, let's see uh, Venus uh, Hyams uh, draws a parallel to the freaks with the clown Frozo on their first meeting because he thinks that he's laughing at her, that she's a tramp and all this other stuff. And it goes back to the, the first scene with the uh, haunts and, uh, and Cleo with, are you laughing at me? And then that comes back around again. Uh, So I like that, that there's, you know, he actually kept a a line going between all of the characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think that uh, Roscoe, the guy that's uh, that's I don't know if he's engaged to or married to one of the Hilton sisters, the Siamese twins. Uh, he would be played by Mel Tillis if this was a Hal Needham movie, because yeah. uh, it had you know that stuttering kind of thing that
1: he does. Oh, nice! I guess Wallace Ford would. I guess that would be Burt Reynolds would be the Frozo character. Yeah. <laughs> Venus would obviously be. Animal. Yeah, Venus would obviously be Sally Fields. I'm trying to see where Jerry Reed would fit in or Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe Dom DeLuise. Where would Dom DeLuise fit in? <laughs> Might be all- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got, I got a joke, but I don't want to say it because you know I could. I don't want to you know sully the fact that these people have you know actual conditions by throwing Dom DeLuise in there and then sully Dom DeLuise's great career by saying that as well. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but this is say it, Schlitzy
1: would not be far removed from some of Dom DeLuise's acting work. Okay,
2: no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, let's see. <laughs> uh but but one of the uh, just going through my notes to see which ones are crap and which ones are actually worth talking about oh uh, and we were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier is that the dialogue is kind of difficult sometimes because they weren't pro actors and yeah well, a lot of them weren't pro actors, and you know they got heavy accents, and this was also early sound mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um but i I think that you know for me at least, and this is clearly more of a, a looking back on it than a, a, an at the time kind of thing. It helps accentuate the uh, the divide these characters have from the rest of the world. Right. Uh, so you kind of have that separation there. Um, you have uh, a lot of shots of characters always watching one another. Like everybody is in each other's lives, and they're always oh, standing yeah. there, like and they're like completely just you know they're not even making a, a, a trying to disguise the fact that they're watching uh, watching everybody else in the in the carnival. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I like the scene where Frida goes to uh, to talk to Hans in his uh, in his wagon, and uh, he goes into the back and he's standing in shadow. She's out in the light with the door framing her, and you kind of get like a, a John Ford vibe there. I was there. gonna say
3: John Ford, man. Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, but it's another that's and that's kind of where you know we were talking about with the Browning style. I think that that's one of those things that I really liked about that. Uh, his use of uh, shadow and light for the the characters and where they're at. Um, Let's see. Do, 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 do. The uh, there's the that equivocation that uh, Cleo is now one of the freaks, obviously in the the wedding feast scene, the the most famous, arguably the most famous scene in the movie. Yes, heartbreaking um, moments. Yeah, uh, but it it's you know about how the humans and the freaks are equal, but the freaks don't necessarily want or need the acceptance of normal people. That they demand you know respect and they deserve dignity, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what you you get out of that scene. Um, there's, once that scene happens and we go through that whole, the, that kind of turn, uh, it's a, a really marvelous build, a change in attitude, uh, going into the back end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, know, it's all pre- com- yeah, go ahead.
3: I was going to say, it is a really, you know, stop on a dot. It, it, it takes something like a, the gentle nature is replaced by something, um, you know, certainly valid, but it's, it is a, it makes it all the more stark, um, when it happens right because i think there's an underestimation by certain characters uh, and a lack of respect which you know as you just mentioned they're demanding respect and rightfully so
2: well yeah that that's my next note actually is that the freaks are now menacing you know they're, yes. they're now gathering up and watching uh her and, and cleo you know almost like uh, they're just waiting to to drop the axe um because you know they've already they've been judged the the wedding was their their judgment at that point mm-hmm. uh you have the the fantastic finale which we won't get into details on um there's uh, oh the 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 scene in in hans's wagon in the rainstorm uh where angelo rosito's playing the pan flute uh it kind of mirrors the earlier scene in the forest where the uh, the human skeleton was laying there while the schlitzy and them were dancing around and he was playing i think a harmonica yeah. So it's kind of like it's kind of like a mirroring of that in the front and the back of the film, but in the one, it's really innocent. In the back, it's you know really you know, menacing and threatening. Yeah. Uh, so there's that's a great another another great parallel in the film. Um, let's see. Uh, I, that blast scene that we talked about. Whether or not it's a, whether or not it's a uh, something that was tacked on by the studio, which it, it does really kind of feel like. Uh, but I, I always get choked up at that scene. Uh, uh, just because it really, I mean, that just puts the cap on it and, you know,
3: it does. Yeah. And it, it feels like, I they, they may have said it, I don't know if it was implied or it was said, but uh, they may have said it now that I think, but years have passed. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, uh. And then finally, I, I think that the, for me, at least this movie is really, it's, it's malleable because it changes as you're watching it. Like, and and it, it goes to that it goes to that you're you're watching the freaks, so you're taking part in the exploitation but at the same yes. time you're on their side But at the same time you're laughing with them at the same time you're laughing at them and then you're feeling for them and then you know so it, it goes through all of that um, and that's, and that's the genius, I think so. that's that is that is the genius of it that's that's why this movie I think is so very very important is because it, it it every time that I watch it every single time that I watch it I go through like I run a whole gamut of uh, of emotions and uh and it changes you know fluidly it changes effortlessly between them the the editing uh eh, the editing is is a little dodgy here and there, but yeah, yeah. that was for the time so I uh, mean, that that really is my big complaint about yeah it. i mean if you uh, take, you
1: take you know thirty minutes out it's i mean it's kind of hard easy to, to feel uh, like those hard cuts you know yeah. might not be
3: browning's fault mm-hmm.
2: sure yeah 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 um but i mean it's a movie that uh, it it lives and grows inside of uh inside of your mind is basically what it does and that that to me is is a great movie so yeah um, that's the end of my notes on it so nice
1: all right let's get the MBTs in the make breaks large William
3: oh man um gosh i think um <laughs> where'd where it begin yeah There's so many strong moments and scenes in this film. I guess I'm going to go with uh, the most as obvious as choice as it is, the dinner scene, because I think when things shift and people are willing to overlook and suffer through a lot, but when it's that blatantly disrespectful and to one of their own and to you know, feel a fellow human being, um, to see that turn at that point, um, you know, it's really there's a reason it's as iconic as it is um the mvt is the setting and the cast I, again we've talked about it a few times how this film got made is you know is just fascinating i don't even know it but i can only imagine and it just, it is fa- endlessly fascinating so that for me is the the people involved in the film um as well as its setting it's a it's a setting we rarely would see again in films and my score for the film is an 8 point I want to say an 8.5 out of 10. I mean, it's a tremendous film. And I agree. I think everyone should own this film, whether you're you know, a criterion horror or you're into like horror films or John Waters. I mean, John Waters is another one who's unbelievably influenced by this film. Yeah. So many oh, yeah. filmmakers we love are just informed by this. Almodovar uh, Yeah. On and on it goes, right? Um,
1: so, yeah. Yep. That, uh, that is a good point. I mean, there, there are a lot of filmmakers we still love to this day. You know, I was watching this. Yeah, I was watching this and I was thinking about, you know, would, would you know, you always think, what would this be a good double bill with? Uh, and then you think, you know, this this would go well with Gummo. This would go well with a couple other films I can think of off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's interesting. The more and more I see it, the more and more influence I see, right? So my MVT is Browning. Uh, my Make or Break is that last, uh, I don't know, five to eight minutes, whatever it is. Oh, okay. it's just really crazy stuff. I love it. And uh, you know, all the other stuff that builds up to it is fine, too. But, I mean, I just really feel like that energy, it really just gives a like, a, a real jolt. Uh, not to kind of, you know, like, I could say a zap, I guess, because, you know, you got lightning going on there. But, uh, you know, it, just, it it gives it a real jolt. Not that the film needs it, because I think the story and the length of the film, it, it you know, it, it's not boring in any way, shape, or form. Oh. I think the narrative is fine. Um, but... I, you know you really kind of cr- at, at the point you get that ending you get to that ending you really are craving it and that, that's pretty masterful filmmaking but that because that's what you want to do with any type of quote-unquote revenge how many times michael say quote-unquote revenge film because <laughs> uh, I, I got this picture of somebody listening saying uh yeah sammy said and i quote quote-unquote <laughs> 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 fuck Uh, it's always one thing. That's why I never listen to our show, Will. You ask me why I don't listen to the show. I don't listen to the show because I don't want to (laughs) hear, you know, when I get into some of my OCD shit or something, you know.
3: When I say you know or you say you know, I I feel
1: like I say you know a lot. I'm like, oh, Will, shut up. I always feel like I say, I, I know I say yeah a lot. As people are talking, I'm always like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, when we, there's a joke, uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife uh, noticed that when Will and I are together, we always say, yeah, 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 <laughs> we're talking to each other like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we get so excited. Uh, but the finale is great. Uh, <laughs> although the make or break could be the whole film, I think there's great scenes all throughout this film. The bookends are great. The only thing I don't really care for as well as you guys don't, I don't. I do feel like even though it's a fine scene, I do feel like that last minute or so that that one little chunk with uh, Hans. Marvin. No, what the one scene with Hans and his and you know Froze on them coming by to Hans's house place and stuff. I just feel like that was put in there by the studio too. It just feels very intrusive it doesn't That's, feel
3: I, I do feel yeah it's a little bit inorganic but you know
1: yeah i mean if, if there's a weakness you know outside of you know amateur acting and things like that but it, you know there's a charm to the amateur acting as there is in gomo or something like that mm-hmm. uh 8.5 out of 10 for me as well we're on the same page with this one like we are with blossom uh <laughs> it's a you know it's a solid uh great film dare i say one of the best films of the 30s booyah oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, my MVT would be the cast, uh, without the freaks, there wouldn't be a movie called that's Freaks. Right. Um, and they all do, you know, I mean, they do what they do and they do it. Well, uh, my make or break, it is kind of a toss up for me between that first scene in the forest, uh, and the finale. Yeah. But if, if push came to shove, yeah, I got to go with the finale. Yeah. I mean, that's the buildup. That's the payoff. That's, you know, that's where it really, really shines and you just start you know you, you'll sit there slack watching this thing unfold in those last uh, in that la- in that uh, piece of the movie um my score is uh going to be higher than both of you guys it's 9.25 for me totally fair so nice. uh and that's uh, yeah that's all i got
1: i could probably go that high really honestly but yeah. um i cannot argue that score if anybody gave it anything Let's put it this way. If anybody gave it anything below a 7.5, I'd be offended.
3: <laughs> I agree. I, mean, I was even going to say an 8. I feel like it's just, yeah. you know, when you look at everything as, as film fans, context and everything else, yeah. I just think it's...
1: It's classic. Unbelievable. All right, so that is our review of Freaks. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about... I think our review of Freaks was almost as long as the film itself. Maybe they, they could just throw a commentary. Maybe you guys could just take it out and just throw it on there as a commentary when you watch the film.
0: That's right. <laughs> there you go.
1: all right Uh, we're going to take a like I said short break come back and talk about Lost Souls uh, a film that I was not quite prepared for Uh, we'll be back right after this
0: hey all you podcast listeners here's an update see here we know some of that bad brown acid has been going around but we've got an alternative see here have these headphones here throw them on see here movies for your mind see here
3: see here podcast we discuss music related films once a month find us on itunes or at see here that's s-e-e-h-e-a-r dot com.
0: just relax listen and float downstream see here, here.
1: Alright, so that uh song is actually very cheerful for the material we're getting ready to talk about here. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Alright, so Dashi, Dashe, uh Lost Souls, however you want to say it, uh nineteen eighty. Uh I had heard of this, never had seen it. I have seen um the other film that uh Fei Mao, I guess that's how you say his name, Tun Fei Mao, Tun Tun Fei Mao. Uh, is popular for, which uh, for those who don't know, it is, uh, was it Men Behind the Sun? That's right. Yep. Uh, yep. Which is a uh, nasty little piece of business. It sure is. And uh, only for those extremely curious, I guess. Uh, not for everybody. Let's definitely put it that way. Uh, yeah. I would say this film is kind It's <laughs> it's in the same ballpark. That's for sure. Um so this is an interesting piece. So illegal immigrants from mainland China are smuggled into Hong Kong. They are captured by a gang. Um uh, and I'm not going to say the last three words, but let's just say bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz in, in the synopsis it tells you everything that goes on, um uh, but you know if you're familiar with films and we're warning you that this is going to be a little heavy. Uh you can kind of figure out what goes on stuff although I think that they take some interesting Different paths of stuff I hadn't seen before, that's for sure.
3: You know, another thing, another sort of uh, thematic double that Todd inadvertently programmed for us was two films that we can't believe that their studios made. Oh, yeah. How did Shaw Brothers and which studio put out this? Uh, put out Freaks? Uh it was uh, MGM, I yeah. believe. How did Shaw and MGM greenlight these two films?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, MGM was the biggest studio in the world at the time, so yeah. yeah so, and uh, Shaw Brothers, as we know, is. You know they're known for a certain genre. They did other types of films, but
4: oh yeah, especially in this era, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, who wants to lead on this? Uh, I can lead on it unless Todd wants to lead. We always defer to the guests, Todd. If you want to lead on it, we're cool with that.
2: Uh, no, I'm I'm happy sitting in back for this one. Thanks, Todd. Uh, <laughs> I mean, unless you want me to go, I could go, but
1: no, no. I
3: was too busy lighting candles. Yeah, the, the
1: the the heavy films are always like, oh, you know, like oh, somebody else,
2: somebody else talk about it first.
1: <laughs> no, I can talk about it. It's not, it's, I watched this one um, on YouTube. The whole thing's on YouTube. Believe it or not. Uh, yeah, um, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. Oh yeah. Um, so I'd never seen it Like I said I'd heard about it uh, I knew more about the director because of Men Behind the Sun I didn't really know much I don't really know much of his other work I think uh, Men Behind the Sun's the only other thing I've ever seen um, He's evidently act. He's in this film uh, I don't know who he is um, But uh, he's in this film somewhere And he's in a few other films I don't even know what he looks like I didn't even Google look at him or anything But uh, yeah You didn't
3: do a Google image search for him? No No <laughs>
1: It's saved for certain uh, sitcom characters from yes, the, from the right. past. We have a proclivity for uh, yeah. wearing different hats. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> yeah. uh, first thing that kind of struck me about this film, though, is I, I should say, if you can watch it, if you can get the DVD, you're probably better off because the print that's on YouTube is very murky. Uh, it's one of those things where, like with Cry of a Prostitute, we watched it where if you, uh, you know, you get to the dark scenes, it's pretty much uh, you know a black screen. It's not a dark screen. It's yeah, pretty much the sound at that point.
3: The DVD looks good, we should say.
1: Yeah,
2: well, I, I, I don't know. It looks. I thought it looked kind of crappy, all things considered. I mean, oh. it, it looked kind of like almost like it was cropped, and it looked kind of video-y here and there. Although, maybe,
3: whether that was, maybe you I, got I, a copy I, of the VCD. Did I? I didn't. How
2: no, did no, you no. Watch I got I got the the celestial pictures. Oh, uh, this. okay. Mine and it, looked me, it, it looked to me. It looked to me a couple of times like maybe they had they had cropped it in, and it just it just it really kind of looked almost shot on VHS a couple of in a couple huh. of places I mean not the whole way through but I, yeah now that was something i actually did take notice of which i don't normally complain about but uh i did notice it here so hmm. i don't know maybe you got a better version than i did maybe so
1: maybe but yeah definitely the youtube version is pretty is in pretty bad shape i'd be curious which one that is um that mm-hmm. might just be a, a vhs copy it looked more this like this was a VHS hard
3: name. to get for a long time we should say it was banned yeah and the only thing people could get for a long time was a German audio version, which is always insane
1: yeah well i mean this is one of those films, right I mean this is one that it gets banned because it goes into some dark areas, some dark spots um when you start talking about um uh, mankind and the way some of the evil that has taken place in this world over the years um this is a pretty good example of how bad it could get. Now, of course, I don't know how close this is to truth. It's uh, cuts
3: pretty close to the bone. Yeah, but I would assume... It's, it's very true. Yeah. Well, it's a composite of yeah. things. This was a time when a lot of mainlanders in the 70s were trying to get into Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, over half a million of them uh, through a few different comparable access points. So this it, what's interesting about the director is that he's actually Taiwanese, yeah. And a lot of the education, you know, he got was more in line with learning about neorealism. And a lot of the the Italian neorealism has social commentary. Um, this film is a very serious film, dealing with very serious things. And it doesn't feel like your untold stories or your taxi hunters or your Ebola syndrome. It doesn't feel like those, but it's very serious and it's very grim, mm-hmm. um, which is more in line with a really uh, queasy neorealist film, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, this this film is a great example of the power of exploitation cinema. Uh, one of the great things about exploitation cinema is if you get a really talented filmmaker who just so happens to be working in the exploitation era, or even just in that type of film, they can get a lot of politics across um, because they're hitting you with a lot of uh, you know flashy stuff. In yeah. this case, you're getting hit with a lot of nudity um you're getting hit with um just general, rape yeah rape just violence general yeah. nastiness and at the same time this this leads you into the film but in no way does it you know are you sit well i can't speak for everybody but in no way are you sitting around you know uh, sque-
3: striker cock in hand yeah
1: squeezing yeah. one off <laughs> you know squeezing off your jeff striker uh you know rubber mallet
2: well no that that's that yeah now that's that's the problem with with uh, with looking at this movie is that it it is it's something it's dealing with something that's serious but at the same time i mean it is so cranked up to 11 or at least it was as far as i could tell
1: oh no i i'm going to agree with you on that this thing's cranked that, up
2: yeah that that i mean you, yeah, there's no you're kind of like you're disbelieving it yeah. but at the same time the the whole the whole thing that's underpinning it is so atrocious you're kind of like how the hell am i supposed to be watching this thing am i supposed yeah. to be Am I supposed to be like gawking at how ridiculous it is, or am I supposed to be, you know, feeling bad about how all these people are being uh, treated? It's really, really hard. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's really. I mean, there's no other way to get around it. Yeah, they don't pull any punches. <laughs>
1: well, it's 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 a, it's a kind of a harsh reminder sometimes us, you know, fans of exploitation cinema and and just wacky movies and stuff. You know, sometimes we, you know. We kind of get stood up on our on our heels a little bit with reminders of you know we do love these films and they're made for escapism and entertainment purposes and things like that. But every now and then one comes along and it reminds you of something else. Uh, it's got all of that stuff on the exterior, but deep down in the guts of it, it's a whole lot of something else. And it's saying something has yeah. something to say
3: beyond um, exploitation for titillation and and, right. and sort of gawky. Thrill, cheap thrills.
1: Yeah, you think about stuff like, uh, well, Cannibal Holocaust, again, that's another good example where yeah, there's a ton of exploitation elements. It's selling you on the exploitation angles, doing all that stuff, but it's also telling, you know, a very in a way, well, not in a way, in reality, it's a very true story in a lot of ways. Not of not what happened, but of mankind's kind of glibness and bizarre behavior and stuff. And this is kind of a reminder of that as well. I think Sometimes I watch these movies and I think, okay, well, you know, this first, I'm watching this, I'm getting into it. First thing I think is, wow, that, that Chinese girl there, she's kind of hot. Uh, you know, that's the first nude one I see. So that, that, that's a typical response because I'm watching nudity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As the film goes on, nudity kind of becomes banal. It kind of yeah. becomes, because there's so much of it, it becomes something you're not even looking at anymore. That's and right. it becomes this terrifying thing of not having any protection.
3: Well, it also, I think, represents um, because this is something that you again wouldn't get made today. You're dealing with the sensitivity between Hong Kong and mainland China. Hong Kong was, you know, under British rule at the time, and um, you, much like when we talked about martyrs, with, um, with the females being st- one of the cruelest things is when they shave her head. They take away her identity, her femininity. You know, by taking away the clothing of these people, they strip them of everything, including any sort of sense of identity. They're wearing newspaper. Mm-hmm right it's a it's a it's unbelievably cruel and cold yeah sam are you there
1: yeah i'm here i'm here i'm sorry i was thinking of something i was uh googling <laughs> pictures of jeff striker um <laughs> that's not true uh anyway uh, <laughs> uh i was I was in i was in awe <laughs> no uh so anyway the, what i say when i say that you know the exploitation moments. Okay, so twenty five minutes in, we get nudity and uh, a rape scene, and I think, okay, this is what you're in for. This is what you kind of. This is what you hear about this film. But from that point on, from that twenty five minute m- point on, this film just it just keeps cranking. It just keeps winding that. Uh, I don't know. It's similar to that uh, that the act of killing thing. Remember, they took the wire and they just tightened it a little mm-hmm. bit more by turning it and stuff. Eventually, you know, well. Uh, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like they just kept winding it and winding it, and I'm like, okay, well, where are they going to go next? Because they've done some pretty awful shit. Yeah, uh, I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, there's there's sodomy in this. There's you know, rape. There's children being well. You don't really see the children being abused. Thankfully,
3: there are, thankfully, that yeah, there's none of that. But there are children
1: there. Uh, at least one mm-hmm.
3: child, anyway. All sorts of all all sorts of variety of torture, mm-hmm.
1: and. They go that one step further. I think I think the shocking moment in this, I think, comes from the... There's a scene involving two male characters, which I won't get into. Oh, yet. yeah. But it's a shocking moment in the sense that you don't think the film's going to go there, and it goes there. It's not shocking in the fact that it shouldn't be shown, because rape is a well, it's a genderless crime. And that's not a gender...
3: Yeah, exactly. It's not gender exclusive. Yeah.
1: But it is a horrifying thing. And, I, and when I, why I'm clarifying that is I don't want to say that... I was told terribly offended by. I mean, this is not the worst rape I've ever seen. I've seen much worse rapes in film, and this uh, one isn't easy though. That's not easy. It's it's horrifying,
3: and it's shot in close, like it's yeah. It's, really it's,
1: it's very sleazy, very sleazy. It's very nasty. I mean, it's 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 just it's how it should feel. Yeah, and that's right. That's right. It it, it should be giving you comfortable and exploitation surge, while at the same time making you question why you're enjoying watching this or why would you even pursue this. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of what exploitation's for, I think. I mean, I think that's what it, it, it's supposed to bring attention to these things. It's supposed to bring you into the theater. I mean, that's what you want. I mean, of course, nowadays exploitation is you know Jersey Shore, Lake massacre. Killer, yeah, massacre, Jersey Shore massacre. So I don't know what you know, that doesn't even bring me to the video store. That, that wouldn't even bring me to a torrent site. No. But, I <laughs> but the, the point is, is that this is what exploitation exploitation was. It was, at one point in time, an important part of our our cinema in, in the world. Not just in our country, but ever, all countries. And I think this film not only proves its point, but it hammers it home so hard that I was kind of left kind of shocked by this whole thing. I was not really prepared. It's a very guess, punishing film. Yeah, I guess I should have been prepared, knowing that it was the same director as Men Behind the Sun. But I yeah. thought, you know, it won't be like that. It won't be... It won't be to that level, you know, where, you know, I'll look at it and say, like, well, you know, I never really want to watch that again. I've written, I I don't ever want to watch Men Behind the Sun again. I've seen it, been no, there, been there, done that. I just, I had no interest in going back.
3: I haven't had that old familiar queasy feeling in my stomach in some time from film, which is testament to how powerful a medium it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. can music do that? I mean, other than like the obvious, like, droning to make you nauseous, but, or can like, um. In a painting do that? I, I don't think they can. Mm. Not to disparage other forms of art, but I really feel like that's why I, I, I really admire and respect film because I think it's a medium. You know, it can sort of plumb the depths emotionally. You know, say other arts can't, but it, like, I feel queasy just talking about this film thinking about some of the scenes. Yeah. Not to say, listen, some people are going to watch this. Some, some of those people that, oh, that are still chasing that, yeah. that uh, They're still chasing unicorn. the dragon. Yeah, yeah. They're chasing the extreme <laughs> <laughs> dragon, and they're going to think we're pusses. But that's fine. You can. But. No,
1: but, but I think there's also going to be a lot of people like us who chase the dragon. Yeah. And we found our dragons. We found our dragon extreme. dragon looked back at us. <laughs> yeah. We, look, we stared into the extreme unicorn. <laughs> and like, the extreme unicorn had a, had a Jeff Stryker Jeff penis Stryker. on its head. <laughs> Its <laughs> and we looked at it and said, holy fuck, that's a good-looking penis. <laughs> <laughs> and we questioned everything we ever thought <laughs> about cinema. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> no, I mean, but I am with you. I mean, I, there was a time when I was written Cannibal Holocaust, Make Them Die Slowly, uh, Legend of the Overfiend, uh, you know, Men Behind the Sun. Fuck you. You know, Faces of Terror. Oh, necromancy I've never uh, seen it. Thankfully, <laughs> Faces of. Uh, you're lucky. I almost picked it for Diabolic. <laughs>
0: oh man! I
1: don't want to do it, but I was running out of ideas. Oh, I was going to
3: pick in a glass cage, which, I, but I feel there's a lot more artistic merit. Yeah.
1: Uh, with that. Yeah. I'd, I'd be much more comfortable with that, but I'm always afraid we're going to end up in a situation where it's like, oh well, I hate to do it, but we're going to have to pick this.
3: <laughs> hey man, we've I've been, you know, we've we've all seen some grim shit. Yeah, we have.
1: We have. have. But, you know, and, and I'm sure Todd has been this way, too. I mean, all film fans, I think, especially of a certain genre, like the horror genre or something else, we're always kind of looking for that next thing that's going to kind of blow our tops, kind of, yeah. you know, not to sound like I'm from the or 70s, Apple. where I am. <laughs> you know, it's the next thing is going to blow our socks off, yo. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we do pursue that. And then once we get enough of it, we tend to, at least all the guys I know, uh, Will included, I, I'm, I would have guessed Todd as well. I mean, yeah, I'm still going to be open-minded enough to say I never saw Necromantic 2, so if somebody would throw it on me, I'd probably watch it. But mm-hmm. I, I don't have any interest in pursuing it anymore. No, but no. if somebody said I should really check it out, maybe I would watch it, you know, but I've—, I've I've seen my dragon. I've seen my Jeff Stryker unicorn. I
3: wouldn't watch it.
1: (laughs) Please, nobody Photoshop Jeff Stryker unicorns on the group. We don't need that. That's right. Opened up a major Pandora's box. No pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, But um, there's going to be a whole lot of Jeff Stryker Google searches (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) He's going to be like, hey, "Hey, I'm back. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if he ever went anywhere. I don't know what he's doing. Um. Anyway, no, he's not doing. Anyway, uh, the but you know, so seeing this now at 41, uh, it's just a it's a grim reminder. Of, like you said, the power of cinema, but it's also a grim reminder of, you know, mankind's inhumanity to man, which we've we've talked about on this show several times, and this film really kind of shows that. Um, I never really kind of understood. Just to get back to the film itself, and maybe you guys can enlighten me a little bit. I never really. What's the phone number thing?
2: Well, that was so that uh, because they they got these they caught these guys coming into the country and the they want to get money out of the relatives. Oh, of okay. The so people.
1: A, okay. So it's a ransom thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And if they have no numbers, then they're if just. If they had no
2: numbers, you were up the crick. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Somebody was up your crick. Oh, yeah. uh, but. Okay, so that that makes sense now. They kept, the, I mean, I just randomly would look at the screen sometimes, and I would always see phone numbers. You have phone numbers? You got numbers? You remember your phone numbers? <laughs> show me your papers. Yeah, it became the show me your papers moment. I was like, you got your phone
2: numbers. Yeah, and the thing about the thing about the phone numbers is that it doesn't really make anybody safe if they do have the phone numbers because these guys, you know, don't really seem to care what kind of condition you are in when they, you know, get through that whole process.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So anyway, I
1: mean. I guess my my and I'll I'll end my thoughts on it here. I guess my thing, what you like, I said the twenty-five minute mark. It's kind of almost like an action movie in a way, kind of like a not not a not a full-blown action film. And there is some Shaw Brothers' s stuff. Well, there's definitely some Shaw Brothers sound effects in here. It's not a lot of not a lot it's of. The like fanci- a, it's like
3: a prison film, right? Yeah,
1: there's not a lot of really fancy fighting in here. There's a couple of good moments and stuff, but that's not what you're going to this film for. You're going to this film for different things, and this is a horror film on a on a horror level. Um, not with any uh, you know mass killers, but with people who are even worse. But I like that the film starts out as it, it really is a, a really well made exploitation film because it sucks you in as kind of like this escapee refugee on the run film. It turns into this fucking insane prison camp film uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, you know predating stuff like you know martyrs and and things we've seen and it'll blow your mind it'll it'll blow your mind that this film was made by the Shaw brothers in 1980 uh, and then it kind of turns into this action thing again toward the end but it has this really for me it, it wasn't bizarre but I wasn't expecting this I'll just say this Twilight Zone esque type ending yeah, yeah this yeah. this kind of ending of iron I think
3: it's a, I think because of the how socially minded um, the director is mm-hmm. I think it's it's Commentary on, um, you know, everything that glitters isn't always gold. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and that's also, and that uh, that is also very much foreshadowed early on,
3: big time. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's great stuff, though. I mean, I love the, oh, yeah. I love the uh, the whole thing. I mean, it is like I said, a little Twilight Zone esque. But I really love the the decisions a character. There's a great decision one character makes. Um, it's a very, you know, it's a very non-selfish decision but it's it's interesting i didn't expect that i mean there's a lot of unexpected turns in this film so that's that's always pleasant when you go back and watch a film that's you know 34 years old and um you get hit with some surprises so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm glad you picked it because i i you know i'll be honest with you i've heard about this film i wasn't going to pursue it it (laughs) because uh it's just you know i'm just not there anymore that's just not where my brain's at yo but uh then again, my brain is evidently in on the Jeff world. Stryker? Yeah, Jeff Stryker with his dick on a unicorn. So uh, maybe my brain is in a darker spot than I want to admit. <laughs> so
2: I don't know. But, uh,
1: yeah, I'll kick it over to one of you guys.
2: Do um, you mind if I go? I don't mind at all. Okay. Uh, I don't have a terrible amount to, to add to that. Um uh, it, it, I love the way that it starts off, like documentary style, because it really grounds it. Uh, That's where I
3: get that Jacopetti and, and Paolo yeah. Cabrera, the Mondo Cane vibe.
2: Yep. Uh, and it's got a, a really nice synth score up uh, up front there. Yeah, uh, could from
3: Rollercoaster, it should be said. Was it? <laughs> to The Choi Hawk school of uh, scoring a film, where <laughs> they lifted a lot of the soundtrack from Rollercoaster, yeah. Yeah.
1: Which might be why I liked it so much because I didn't even realize it, and I remember one of my favorite things about roller coaster is the music. <laughs> nice,
2: um, but uh, yeah, like we were just saying, there's that that uh, the whole point about the ending and the way that it's foreshadowed. Uh, it's very the the characters, the way that this thing starts off outside of that that first that opening bit. Uh, it, it's kind of muddy, not so much in in the way that it looked, but in you're not exactly sure what you're supposed to be following. I mean, there was there was that whole uh, there was that whole piece where you're following the three three sets of people. You're following the people on the boat. You're following the people who are like all all the, the I think they're all guys, but they're in white shirts, and they, they're the guys that are jumping the fence. And then there's the the three people who are like our main characters. And the the guys that were jumping the fence, I'm not even a hundred percent sure that I know what the hell happened to them after that opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but um I just lost my train of thought.
1: Uh Gotta stop looking anyway. at the pictures of Striker there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I hear Will clicking Zim- through his uh collection Piscuits
2: right now. Of- <laughs> Vision's <are pretty> awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's photoshopping
1: but- right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh but yeah, no, I I mean I I it it starts off that way, so it's a little bit it's just you're not hundred percent sure where where you're supposed to be going with it. And then it twists and then twists again. Um, so when you get to that, that point where they actually, well, you know what? Skip it. Uh, let's see. Uh, I really like the scene up, uh, up in the beginning where you're actually for like that, that brief moment, you get the idea that the, that our three main characters might be okay. Hmm. Uh, like when they first get onto the, get into, get into Hong Kong. um, and then, the, and then you find out that uh, you know one of them is going to have to not be so lucky, um, and that kind of like that sets the whole thing going down. Uh, Does it ever? Yeah, right. Uh, let's. But yeah, I mean, it, it, there was that. Uh, there was a, a really, really uh, nasty burn scene, uh, and yeah. not only, not only, not only was it that piece of it that you know i was just in awe of how just how long it goes and how just cruel it looks but um the scene immediately after that the person who's playing that because uh, you know the the the, i mean it's, it's it's naked so i couldn't imagine being able to to, to play that scene the way that uh, that it's played especially the way that the uh, that it is. I'm trying not to give anything away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, that that really impressed me. That that whole sequence there. Um, and then there's the uh, yeah, but it, it's a uh, well, I, I guess you could say that today's torture porn could learn a lot from something like this. Yeah, because uh, again,
3: that that I think has an aim to to revel in the muck and to be titillating. Right. Yeah. it's like a pissing yeah. contest whereas this doesn't feel like a pissing contest as much as it does an unrelentingly bleak look at something Yeah. yeah.
2: well there's and there, there's again there's a scene in the back end that that gets really really sobering uh, you mm-hmm. know for a few, for a few moments at least uh, and again I, I don't want to give it away um, it, it does the movie does feel like it has the finale early <laughs> and then it's got like another 20 minutes on it, but those 20 minutes are important to the movie. So it's not like they're wa- it's wasted time. It's not like you know, it's just going to to fill out the the runtime. Um, yeah. yeah, it's making it you know, it's making the, the final point of the whole the whole flick. Um, let's see what else. There's a nice little uh, piece of ironic uh, comeuppance at the the end there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean. It, I really like the the tone that the the film ends on because it doesn't make it feel like uh, everything's been for nothing. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, like I said before, I mean, this is not an easy thing for me to, to look at because it is so, it is really, I mean, we've been saying grim and brutal and, and, you know, not pleasant at all. But on the other hand, I mean, what you're seeing is so insane that it's just it it's it's just got it's just it, it kind of has that disconnect that exploitation disconnect. Yeah. Um and that's uh yeah that's uh, it's not a yeah I I wouldn't I don't know that I would say that it's quite on the level of of cannibal holocaust but it's in that it's definitely in that kind of category. Yeah. Um and that's that's pretty much all I can that's pretty much all I got that won't uh, spoil anything yeah,
1: if not well, if not even just putting it in the Italian cannibal genre, I mean, you can definitely put it in, like, say, with this director's other film, "Men Behind the Sun." For those who haven't seen it, I mean, it's you know, it's it's hitting you over the head with some. I mean, it's very transgressive, right? I mean, it's, it's oh yeah, it 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 wants to hit you with shock and uh, it kind of blow your mind, and uh, you can see why he went on to make "Men Behind the Sun" because I mean, it, that 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 uh any of those it's it's almost crazy to think that anything could actually happen like that if you read about unit 731 and and the stuff that happened in that era it'll blow your mind because you just don't think people can do that to other people
3: yeah Yeah, i that's the older i get the more i'm reminded of that speaking of blowing your mind you got to check out the uh uh the the the, uh self defense video that uh i just posted a picture of in the group uh, oh. And we should say uh, To bring it back to Stryker for a minute Because this is the Stryker power Did a film for celebrated German uh, Auteur Rosa von Praunheim Called Can I Be Your Bratwurst Please? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Um, oh, man. And you know what we got to do? A non-porn film he did called After Death, a.k.a. Zombie 4. Yeah. And he did an Italian zombie film.
1: Yeah, I've, I've heard of that one. Wow, there's a lot of Jeff Stryker popping up on, on the group, man. There's him, cock unicorns. Oh, man, time, unicorns.
3: Hey, Jeff, oh, man. Like. Claudio Fragasso directed uh, that Stryker film.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one we were talking about.
3: We got to do it. It's got Massimo Vanni in it, Jim Gaines. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, man. But uh, Uh, I
1: guess it's my turn. Yeah. See if you can do it without mentioning Jeff Stryker. That'll be your challenge. That'll be the
3: challenge. Okay,
1: so um,
3: where are we here? Okay, so yeah, we already talked about this being Sean. You know, they've been trying to, at this point, really diversify their portfolio and get away from some of the period stuff that they were so well known for. Um, whether it was a matter of social commentary in their films, like another film I've talked about a few times uh, that, that I'm a big fan of, called Kidnap or Kidnapped, I can't recall, where it's got um, Low Lee uh, as a someone who commits a a kidnapping. And, you know, of the the aspects of that and the the desperate uh, feel of the lower class in China and Hong Kong, Uh, it's it's really uh, really fascinating to see them stretch their legs. And um, we don't see films like this anymore. Now that China um, has Hong Kong back, it's no secret, I think, that Hong Kong's film industry has suffered greatly. And so you won't see films like this anymore. Um, Although, interestingly... The end of it is, not to spoil anything, but could be perceived as very much nationalistic in that, you know, careful what you wish for, you know, the corruption of,
1: of the island and so forth. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh at them, I'm, I'm reading Jeff Stryker's Wikipedia page. You mentioned it, not me. <laughs> I didn't know he had a $1 million lawsuit because somebody sold a bootleg dildo of his genitals.
3: <laughs> well, John Waters did call him the Cary Grant of porn. <laughs> oh, man.
1: Wow. How do we, you know, I never would have thought I'd be talking about Jeff Stryker. Jeff
3: Stryker's bootleg dildo on our show. <laughs>
1: man. He sued him. He sued somebody for piracy for that. Amazing. Wow. Well,
3: to to bring it to striker's profession, there's a Chinese dude in this that looks like the uh, the Chinese captain stab in. <laughs> yeah. He's got the hat on. About... By yeah. the way, we he... should say that, hey, you know.
1: Well, let me, let me, let's make sure we get all our facts straight. He sued for a million. He only got 25 grand for that. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> <It's> that... <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> Never mind. 25 grand. That's I've the done. price. Let's, uh... t- let's talk about a serious film here. Not, not
3: can, can, I, can I be your boss, please, and not bootleg dildos and lawsuits around them. So, to add a bit of, of levity uh, to the review, we should say that, as repulsive as um, the, the, the Hong Kong uh, people are in this, um, they do have an incredibly GGTMC wardrobe. Oh,
2: yeah, oh, yeah. they got I the Jay Giles. Uh, Peppermint stripe uh, tank tops.
3: Oh, big time! They got that. They got jorts. They got speedos, um, half shirts. A lot of denim. You know, they got it going on in that sense. But uh, this, to me, feels like at the time between probably when exploitation films really took off uh, in the the era we know of the seventies. I would say from about let's say sixty late sixties into probably early early eighties. Yeah, it felt like. As the world got smaller, there became a lot more films where someone took a wrong turn and it went terribly bad for them.
4: Yeah.
3: Whether it was, or whether it's through fate, you know, Last Host on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, um, you know, uh, people Jackson taking a wrong. Jackson County Jail. Jackson County Jail. So many of these films, and this film, people take a wrong turn, and end up you know uh, on the wrong side of. Uh, of a town, or even making County Line. You know, we did this happenstance sometimes that turns things sideways. But I think, I wonder how much that had to do with the world feeling smaller to people and feeling like venturing outside of your neighborhood at times could be a bit perilous because of the the alien feel or the uncertainty as to what was beyond there. Right. Um, people start looking down their borders. Um, there's, it's funny because it, not funny, it's peculiar to me that as much as Japan uh, China is, or Hong Kong, you know, they have some really repulsive shit in their films. This feels more at times like a Japanese film. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, the way it approaches some of it. Um,
1: yeah, there's a know, perversion to it.
3: There's a high minded kind of uh, cruelty to it. Um, it's good to see Todd keeps the rape streak alive and well. <laughs> it was like an, a 10 for one deal <laughs> this week.
4: Yeah.
3: It is insane. Um we should say, though, one of the things I do like about this film, I always like seeing filmmakers uh, like Toon uh, Feimou and Choi uh, Hawk and filmmakers that, that trained abroad or did work abroad and how they bring some of that sensibility to their films, whether it's lifting a soundtrack, whether it's the rotating camera they use during a rape scene, um, whether it's the Italian neorealism and the squalor and the plight of the marginalized people, much like, again, the, the plight of the marginalized people and freaks like we talked about, there's a really brutal beating inside a tent when a bunch of the refugees are kind of all like uh, cattle in this tent and they and the, the captors are beating them outside the tent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really uh
3: really, really grim. Um another week, another firewalker.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: This is we got that streak going. Um interesting how many have we had uh, any women set on fire in this film in this film in this show before
1: oh, Man I'm sure we have That's a weird question but it seems like it's something that, that's happened before
3: Yeah it's um it's brutal it's really brutal Now some may ask well why don't they run away but I think it's very apparent that they can't run away you know and they can't overtake them because where do they go They need to be be put through this illicit system in order to you know, end up where they're trying to get, essentially. So, you know, it may seem maddening that they um, are stuck in the situation, but they're a little bit at the mercy of things. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm a big fan of ice, but the ice cube scene in this, sadly, um, is not in the same vein as Rosie Perez's and Do the Right Things.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene.
3: There's a dude in this. He's got such a gross, and I don't mean to be crass because of this guy's weight, uh, or, or rude, but he's he's basically you know human trafficker, and he's this big fat dude with his shirt open. That's one of the largest guts we've had on the show. Yeah, it is. He was serious. I mean, but, and it's also I think the second time that we've had markers on women's bottoms. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is to, de, to denote quality. Yes.
1: <laughs> yep. Although I, I, I like Hen and uh check yes. mark more. Check mark
2: <laughs>
3: seems more positive and sunny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, as opposed to fixing a dollar. You know.
2: uh, I thought that scene it looked like it looked to me like uh, like they were playing fingers.
3: Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um
1: <laughs> I'm gonna order you guys. I love Jeff Stryker tote bags for Christmas. <laughs>
2: yes.
3: <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um
2: Do the do the that come with that are they legit or are they are the bootleggers? <laughs> yeah,
3: they the bootleg handles. Nice. Uh <laughs> uh what does i say bow i don't know what that says
1: uh i gotta say i kind of admire jeff strike after reading about him he's he's a single dad who raises his own boy he uh good for him. he doesn't do work very much he's more interested in being a father that's
3: good good for him that's interesting good for him
1: he's made a mint yeah off of that off of that uh that model
3: hopefully you know he's come with this no pun intended he's coming with the the side um pretty even keeled. I would hope.
1: Yeah. Well, he, made,
2: made a mint off of that splint. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I discovered somebody I didn't know today. Uh, discovered that he, um, he's, he calls himself universal. He can be turned on by anybody sitting next to him.
3: Yeah. That's what he said.
1: Well, that's interesting. That's what he said, There you go. A lot of jokes and, there. I know, but I mean, it's interesting. And
3: he did make the self-defense video of the nineties. So
1: yes, he did. Uh,
3: I got to see that zombie before film. That's insane. Uh, this film's not eloquent or poetic in any way. It's like a, it's like a, an army boot to your throat that's covered in mud. Yeah, it's just uh, it's very, very grim. And um, there's one moment when a character is forced to say, "I am a scumbag," and that's the biggest understatement by way of a forced proclamation in the history of cinema.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, we get an awful scene with funnels.
1: <laughs> funnels. Oh yeah. That is an awful scene. Oh, my gosh. It's like waterboarding or something. It's so Ugh. awful. I hate the stomach uh, distention, you know, the kind of, yeah. the way it kind of, what it does. Yes. Um, rich will become rich. We hear that a lot. Yeah. Rich will well, become rich. I mean, that what's the driving force for most evil? It's going to be, it it's money, right? So. And yeah, power.
3: Uh, and just, again, another film that. Feels well. No, this film isn't. Freaks has a bit of a different tone to something, but there's a very, very cynical ending to this film. Yep. So Absolute. there you go. That's it. That's all.
1: Yeah, it's powerful stuff, man. I was kind of blown away by the film altogether. I just didn't really expect. I kind of expected more of the exploitation exploitation slant than the uh, actual politics and the kind of way the film stuck with me. So really hard for me to choose or make or break in this, but um. Ooh, I don't know. I don't want to say one scene because it kind of gives away a plot element. So I'll go ahead and go with the the big fat guy and the playing of the fingers. That's oh, a pretty man. awful scene. So, mm. but it's going to be hard for me to forget about it. So yeah. uh, I'll stick with that. Uh, my MVT. I'm going to give this to the cast. I think this is some brave shit these guys did. I, mean, I got to admit, they're, they're, there's people that are in this film and they're nude ninety percent of the time. And if they're yeah. not nude, they're covering themselves with hay. And we've talked about on the show before, you know, laying nude in hay, it's a tricky business. It sure is. A well, lot can go wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, my score for the film, I'll give it a straight eight out of ten. It's so nasty in some ways, I can't go higher than that. I know that sounds kind yeah. of ridiculous, because I love Gaspar no. Noe and some other people, but... Um, this one just there's a vibe to this one that made me uneasy, Um, but I do think this this is an important film, and actually I think if I was going to tell somebody if they were going to watch this film or I remember behind the sun I think I'd probably tell them to watch this one. Um Man Behind the sun's a different, uh, but
3: that that is really based on a legitimate yeah. account. Of, it's a different um,
1: animal in some ways, but yeah, you know maybe if you're hesitant to do that but you still want to get into. Some of the work of this director, maybe you should go with this, maybe. I don't know. Enter at your own risk. Let's we'll say that. Mm. We got that. Uh
2: well, my M V T uh is gonna be uh the director, uh Toon Fei Mao. Um he really it, yeah, it's not he kept it all together, man. He he got the the point across and he did it well and you know Kudos to him for for getting a movie like this made at all um, and especially with the the risks that this thing takes um, so yeah I would give it to him uh make or break uh, I'm gonna say it's a toss up for me between that the the very end and there's a scene when a certain character just goes completely around the bend, uh, oh, yeah. and and does something that you know you've been waiting for the entire movie. Um, so I th- I think I'm going to give it to that. I, I I can't really say more than that because it would be giving it all away. But uh, that would be my MB or my make or break. Sorry. Uh, my score for this is a seven point two five, and that's only because it is so rough going that, you know, it's it just takes it... It's not so much the importance of it, you know, because it is an important movie, I think, but, yeah, man, it's, it's not easy easy going. I think on when I watch it again, I might... That might go up a bit. Um, but as of right now, yeah, no, 7.25 for me. Nice.
3: Okay. Um, uh, my make or break is... <coughs> The ending. Yeah. I think the ending's really powerful. Um, it, it is cynical, it's, but it ends on a really strong note, a bitter note. Uh, my MVT uh, is also going to be uh, Toon Fei Mao. I think that in lesser hands this could have been a repulsive and tonally uneven um, and just, just kind of like just silly and wacky in spots and some of the rape scenes could have been played not for laughs, but goofy, and I think a film like this, where he's trying to say something socially, uh, he does a good job of keeping it very straight faced. Um, and I'm gonna say a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a very good film, it's not an easy watch, um, and it's an interesting one in the Shop Brothers catalog to be sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I was kind of blown away by it. No doubt, Will, did you say this is the first time you watched it, or this is the second time you watched it?
3: Yeah, I'd seen it before, but okay. uh, I don't know if I'd seen all of it because there's a few things I don't remember
1: from it. Yeah, I wonder if I'd watch it again if I'd fall down into the seven area er- territory. I think I maybe know. some of my eight might be a little hyperbole by how kind of overwhelmed I was by it. But you know, on a first time watch though, it it really did hit me in the gut. So
3: oh, it's a gut punch. Still, like I said, I was just
1: thinking about it. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is the big show. Uh, next week. Next week we are doing. Um, uh, we'll have another guest on. We got uh, Tom uh, DJ coming back on the show. He wanted to come back on and chat some films with us. He's been wanting to, us to cover this, this particular film for a long time. So we know we're covering uh, Lord Love a Duck. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Lord Love a Duck. And um, we don't know what else yet. We're trying to find something to pair up with it. So we'll see what we can pair up with Lord Love a Duck. Neither one of us has seen nor practically heard of Lord Love a Duck. So it's such a bizarre title. I'm so curious as to what it could be. So we'll get into that, but Tom is coming back on. Uh, we want to thank Todd for being on this week. Thank you so much. Oh, man, absolutely. Thank you
2: for having me. Thank for having me.
1: Thanks for all the uh, reviews you write, all the support you've given us. Friendship. Yeah. Friendship, uh, the great beer, <laughs> uh, so many things. Uh, sad I won't be able to see you in September. I know Will is as well. Are You, you are going, aren't you?
2: I'm not going to be able to go this year. No, oh,
1: oh, that's a shame. Well, hopefully we'll see you again the next time we go. Yep. Yes, that'll be nice. And a lot of people were not being able to go this year. I mean, for for me, it's just a timing thing. I think Will, really, me and Will both just just made big commitments of the real estate time this year. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, that kind of takes precedence. Yeah. So, but you know, uh, it's a yearly thing, twice a year. So I will see people again, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to hang out again, Todd. That'd be great because it was awesome.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, man. Can't can't wait.
1: Um. Okay. So that is all i got uh i think uh, is there anything else we need to let anybody know about i don't think so i think it's all
3: i don't believe so just check out the uh and gold zadar double Zadouble double this yeah. week
1: oh i just want to say for those of you who sent us emails thanking us on the 300 yes episodes thank you very much uh we don't have a lot of time to read feedback anymore uh it seems to be the overgrowing consensus is most people don't even really care about the feedback anymore so and not to say that it doesn't mean anything to us. It does. It means something to us. Yeah. Absolutely. We still read every piece of it. I promise you. Yeah. But uh, I want to thank you guys for those. Uh, it mean a lot to us. And for, big time. for those that post on the Facebook page and all that good stuff. So.
3: Yeah. Please don't uh, shower us with love. It uh, it's feels nice to be loved, even if we're doing it as long as we have, to know that people still get a kick out of it, man. It's, uh, it's great.
1: Yeah. All right. So that is the big show. With that, I'll say adios adios adios
0: thanks for listening you can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com you can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com